entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman signed an executive order requiring all teams and organizations using county facilities to designate themselves as male, female, or co-ed based on athletes' gender assigned at birth. The number varies, but it's between a half a percent and one percent of the population. And we welcome them here in Nassau County to participate in sports and everything else we have to offer, just not on teams that identify themselves as a girls' team or a women's team. There was also opposition right outside of the signing ceremony. It's a nice moron. argument that we should ban trans children from sports of course we should. falls apart on its face because there is no, different in, no difference in prepubescent athletes. Invited to the signing were organizations and people supportive of the measure, including some teen athletes. The fear is just like you have to worry about it whenever you look, and if somebody, they can hurt you. Like they, It can hurt if you get hit by a man compared to a woman due to their, the more strength that they might have. President Biden will issue what he describes as a major sanctions package against Russia. The White House says the sanctions will target Russia's defense industrial base and sources of revenue for the Russian economy. The United States has issued a steady stream of sanctions against Russia since Moscow invaded Ukraine in 2022. They include banning imports of Russian oil and gas, blocking transactions with the Bank of Russia, and direct sanctions on President Vladimir Putin, his top advisors, and dozens of Russian businesses and oligarchs. From the Middle East, there has been a new explosion of violence in the West Bank. This left one Israeli dead, and at least eight others have been wounded here. Holly Williams has more from East Jerusalem. Three Palestinian gunmen opened fire near a busy checkpoint in the Israeli-occupied West Bank, according to authorities here. They say Israeli security forces killed two of the attackers and a third was wounded and detained. Now, tensions have been running high between Israelis and Palestinians in the West Bank following the October 7th attack. Israel's National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gavir visited the scene with some strong words saying, quote, the right to our lives prevails on their freedom of movement. When those Israelis just sitting in traffic when the gunman opened fire, Hamas called it a heroic act. Specifically now, as we get towards uh, the Muslim holy month of, of Ramadan, which is going to begin on March 10th, you know, this, this holy month is, is a month that's holy for killing Jews uh, traditionally. And we've seen it many, many times that in Ramadan, the amount of terrorism uh, just goes up and up. And, and why is that? In part because, you know, Muslims go into the mosques. And if you hear what the imams are saying in the mosques, they, they are spewing, you know, by ruin anti-Semitism. In, in all of these mosques, some people go out uh, motivated, and, and they're also they're fasting during the day, and they get angry. And uh, this could happen. And I'll tell you the other thing, which can make terror worse, is any time you make a push toward Palestinian statehood uh, here in Israel, it, the the ultimate result has always been more and more terror. So it's it's a very dangerous time. And and you mentioned uh, you mentioned the fight in the north. I mean, if Israel has to go to war open war and it's, it's already been skirmishes for for four months with Lebanon but if there's an open war uh, it's going to be it's going to be dangerous uh, here in Israel and round two could be a lot a lot more uh, risky for, for the state of Israel than, than round one in Gaza Lopez wants it away and it's a deep to left chest Andrew Jones on the run the 
Heartbreaking health update on Wendy Williams. Her care team revealing the talk show host has been diagnosed with dementia and aphasia. In a surprising press release, Wendy's team saying both conditions were diagnosed last year as family and fans expressed concern for the talk show host's mental well-being. The new details come just two days before the release of her documentary, Where is Wendy Williams? Joining us is the host, and I happen to listen to this show every morning. And to the point of disgust. So, so because I don't agree with everything he says, but there's something charmingly insecure, really smart, and very lovable about Sidney Rosenberg. WABC Radio. Every time I think of you, I always catch my breath. And I'm still standing here. The great John Waite missing you and great song. This applies, of course, to my friend Wendy Williams once again. Our executive producer, Justin Ellick, putting together that great open, covering all these stories from transgender athletes being banned on Long Island. Thank God for Bruce Blakeman. What a great executive. Nassau County executive Bruce Blakeman. Enough is enough. You're born a boy. You don't play with girls. That's it. 
I don't care how many surgeries you get. I don't care how you identify yourself. You're born with a penis. You're a boy. That's it. Don't play with girls. I mean, this really all started way, way later than when my daughter Ava was playing a lot of tennis in Boca. Big-time tennis player. If I would have seen a boy walk on the court because he, quote-unquote, identifies himself as a girl, I would have walked right over to his father and kicked his ass. <laughs> the boy is probably too young, but the father, I would punch him right across the face. We're all sick of it. We don't want it. And that douchebag lady standing outside, how on the face, it's a horrible thing. No, it's not stupid. So Bruce Blakeman is going to join me coming up at 8.15 this morning. Then today is sanction day for the Russians. Boring. Then uh, the the attack yesterday in the West Bank, Jerusalem. I love uh, how the news does it. They go, three Palestinians. Did you notice that, folks? They didn't say three Hamas. They didn't say three Hezbollah. Three Palestinians, because that's what they are. So all you folks out there, you dummies, who talk about the innocent Palestinians, you just don't know what you're talking about. Hamas are Palestinians. Now, they may be a bit radical, <laughs> maybe very radical, but they're Palestinians. The guy that showed up at a bus stop two weeks ago in Jerusalem and murdered two people was a Palestinian. These three guys that shot dead people again yesterday in the West Bank shot a pregnant woman, Palestinians. They're no good. And then we heard from Alex Trayman, my dear friend at JNS, telling us that with Ramadan starting March the 10th, get ready for more violence. Because these um, radicals and even the everyday folks go into these mosques and they talk about how great it is to hate and kill Jews, and that's all the motivation they need. And that was kind of scary. Then you heard that epic, epic home run Mike Piazza hit against the Atlanta Braves right after 2001, right after 9-11, I should say. And Mike's going to join us today. Mike Piazza coming up in the 9 o'clock hour to preview what looks like will be a very long season for my New York Mets. This after winning just... 75 games last year, finishing 12 games under 500. Hall of Famer Mike Piazza will join me coming up at a 9.15. Then the Wendy Williams story. And I was watching that. That was from Entertainment Tonight. I saw it last night on David Muir. And uh, I go back to the day when I made my debut and my only appearance on the Wendy Williams talk show was a big deal. There were two other ladies there with me. I think one of uh, their names is Melissa Feister. And I think she does a podcast with Teresa from the Real Housewives of New Jersey, Louie's wife. I forgot the other lady's name. But long story short, it was, it was an epic day because Wendy had been talking about me for weeks. And her and I started texting each other. And she listened to this show every day. She said it. And she is a liberal. She is a Democrat. But she didn't care. 
she kept telling me via text, she would go, your delivery is so good. Your energy is so good. Your vibe is so good. I don't care what you say. I need to listen to you every morning. And not long after I made my appearance on her show, really not long at all, it was right before she went on summer break. I did my appearance in June of 2021. And not long after that, her career was over. Drug issues, mental issues, and no one's really seen Wendy Williams for the most part for years. And this, uh, this report comes out last night once again that she's suffering from aphasia and dementia. Do you know, Noam Layden, what aphasia is? It's the same thing that Bruce Willis is suffering from. It's almost. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. The same thing he's going through, almost like Alzheimer's or dementia. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really awful. And you wonder, you know, when you hear that, was she suffering that even two years ago when she'd have these bizarre moments where she'd, you know, fall or say something bizarre on the air? She actually texted me one morning. I'm not sure if you were back yet, no, or Lou was even back. I don't think you were. I think it was still Meanie and Bernie. And she said to me, there's a dead body next door in my in my apartment. This is like 10 to 6 in the morning. Show was just starting. I'm like, Wendy, Wendy, what are you talking about? She's like, I'm freaking out, Sid. I think there's a body next door. Clearly going through some type of paranoia, some some crazy episode, you know. There was no body, but she was texting me uh, time and time again between 10 to 6 and 6.30 that morning. I said to Bernie, I said, uh, Wendy is uh, freaking out over something. Clearly now, when you know what she's suffering from, you know that that was just some type of psychosis. But that was, again, right during that period when she started to disappear. But I loved her. I, I, I mean, She was great to me. She was not. Once again, if you missed in the open, the one time I was on her show right before her whole life fell apart, she introduced me sitting there with the other three ladies on a very popular segment she used to do. It was called Hot Topics. You remember that, Noam? Yeah, I remember seeing your appearance. Oh, you did? Yeah. And we would, uh, not just me that day, but every day the Hot Topics segment was, you'd remark on the celebrity news of the day. Could have been the Kardashians, could have been a number of things. And I was like, yeah, let's do it, baby. So once again, uh, Lewis was in the open, Wendy Williams introducing me to the crowd, Wendy, cut number one. Joining us is the host, and I happen to listen to this show every morning, and to the point of disgust. <laughs> so, so because I don't agree with everything he says, but there's something charmingly insecure, really smart, and very lovable about Sidney Rosenberg. Yeah! WABC Radio. Well, I'm looking at this crowd, and there's a bunch of women, black women, a lot of them going... These people hate me. And yet, once Wendy Williams said, there's something insecure, charming, I love them, they all gave me a standing <laughs> ovation. But they, I know they hated me. But then, later on during the segment, Wendy was a little flirtatious, I'm going to say it, clearly hitting on me in front of 4 million people on television. And one of the other people on the show with me points it out. So here's that exchange, Wendy Williams, cut number two. Every time you talk, though, it's like, because I'm so used to hearing you, you realize that your voice and your delivery is hypnotizing. 
Is it really? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Know that. Oh, yes. Oh, Wendy. Radio VR. Yeah. Great. Thank you. It's so good. So Wendy's got a ring on. I'm not flirting with him. I'm uh, just telling him that I'm a fan. Okay. And I literally <laughs> called the show and said, look, there's this guy. And I've, I'm tired of just listening. I need to meet him. He needs to be part of Hot Talk panel. Let's mix it up. There it was. I forgot that lady's name. She goes, Wendy, he has a ring on. Yeah, I think you forgot this when she, do you remember, she came into the studio. I can't remember what yes, year this was. Yes, that was with me and Bernie. That was dating back to the Madison Square Garden days. And she was all over me She that was. Day. That's what I was going to say. She was more than flirting. She was. She had her hands on you that day. Yes. Yeah. She was holding my arm. She yeah. was touching my chest. Yeah. Well, that's when I figured, I said, I think she likes me. <laughs> and then she was friends with some of the housewives I knew, you know, on the on the Bravo channel. So um, I called her up one day. I actually, I got a number, to be completely honest, from Dominic, Dominic Carter. He had a number. So he gave it to me, and I texted Wendy, and I said, hey, remember me? You were in studio with me. And Bur- oh, I remember you. Oh, yeah, I do. And uh, maybe a month after that, after talking almost every day, I was on her TV show. So, And, again, we haven't talked in over two years. Once it all fell apart for Wendy, the number was gone. I couldn't even DM her on Instagram anymore. So I don't uh, think she'll be reaching out to me anytime soon. But that's a very good memory, Noam. You're right. Yeah. She was in studio well, that day. And the, the reason I remember, because first of all, she had her hands all over you. But also, I had no idea how tall she was. She's a big woman. Yes. Well, she was also wearing heels that day. But she's a very, very big woman. Yes, very. So I made one joke on the show. One of the topics that day was about uh, Chloe. Chloe Kardashian, and uh, this one got me a nice ovation from the crowd. One more. This is uh, my appearance on the Wendy Williams show from about three years ago. Lewis, this is cut number three. Here's where we agree. The relationship is over. It's all over. But I will say this. I'm not surprised by the lack of loyalty from Chloe because the truth is she's OJ's daughter anyway. No, he didn't. Just saying. I heard that that somewhere. No, he didn't. No, no, he didn't. No. Who is this? What? But the the screams were so funny. First of all, I was not the first person to say that back then. That's been a rumor forever that Khloe Kardashian is O.J. Simpson's daughter, not Robert Kardashian. But the screaming, and I'm live in studio there, you know, it was wild. No, he didn't. Oh, no. Who is this man? <laughs> That's good stuff. So we'll, um, we'll try to get in touch with Wendy, and hopefully she's, uh, she's okay. But my favorite story of the day was not in the open, and that is the Salvin Bragg story. So if you don't know this story, some psycho, some murderous piece of garbage psycho met this lady at a Soho hotel, and I don't think they were there to play chess, but who knows. And he ended up killing this poor woman. And I mentioned this yesterday. He beat her to death with an iron, and they actually found metal pieces from the iron in her skull. What a low life this guy is. So he runs away from New York, and he goes to Phoenix, my girl Carrie Lake State. And they find this bastard, and they arrest him. So New York is under the impression, great, send him back here, extradite this guy, because he committed the crime in New York. But here's the problem. 
This lady, Rachel Mitchell, who I believe is a hero, she's an Arizona prosecutor, Maricona County, says, no, I'm not sending him back because Alvin Bragg is a pussy. Well, she didn't say that. I said that. But here's what she said, which is basically the same thing. Lewis, Rachel Mitchell, cut number eight. Having observed the treatment of violent criminals by the Manhattan DA there, Alvin Bragg, I think it's safer to keep him here and keep him in custody. Isn't that unbelievable, Noam? It's safer to keep him here than send him back to New York because of Bragg. So the Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, who's the worst DA in the country, he got mad. Oh, he got mad, poor Alvy baby. Here is his response. There are two cuts here, Lewis. Cuts 9 and 10. Alvin Bragg responding to Arizona prosecutor Rachel Mitchell, cut nine. I've been doing this now for 20 years. And you still suck. I've never seen anything like it, let alone in a murder investigation. Uh, Number 10. County D.A. Mitchell has, I don't know how else to say it, just got it wrong at every single (laughs) turn. Look who's talking, you douchebag. So, uh, Noam, how embarrassing is this story for Kathy Hochul, for Alvin Bragg, even uh, Tish James from New York? How embarrassing is it? Oh, I think it's it's huge. I, I think in the end they'll probably send this guy back, but she's made her point, and Bragg has a reputation nationwide as being soft on crime, and so Mitchell didn't want to return this guy. All right, one more story we'll cover with Noam, then we'll get to uh, our first break of the day. Biden was in California yesterday, and once again, Sherlock Holmes over there, him and Kamala Harris, these two morons, they figured out that Putin killed Navani. You believe this? <laughs> That's an amazing job. So what? To, what? what yeah, I, know. I, don't believe, I don't know how they did that. That's uh, that's very good investigative work. You mean he, he was in a Russian jail <laughs> and somehow he was killed? Yeah. What? No. 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 No, no, you didn't. He did not. <laughs> no, no. What, Wendy? So today happens to be Judgment Day. Today we're going to announce all of these really, really tough sanctions against Russia. So Biden says tomorrow, because he was talking about it yesterday, but here's Biden on these really tough sanctions we're going to put on Russia coming up today. Cut number six. I had the honor of meeting with Alexei Navalny's wife and daughter. As you state the obvious, he was a man of incredible courage. And it's amazing how his wife and daughter... We're going to be announcing sanctions against Putin, who is responsible for his death, tomorrow. Tomorrow. uh, One thing I made that was made clear to me is that uh, Yolanda is going to she's going to continue to to fight. He had on the way. God, we're not letting up. Tough, right? That's, yeah. a, that's a tough president right there, folks. Yeah, one of one of the things you'd be happy about is that Putin hopes you win again. Yeah, so bad. <laughs> he already what said up? it. Putin already endorsed he him. He had said it. I know, he, he endorsed him. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> you know, we said it again yesterday. Uh, po- I think uh, poison was involved. Uh, uh, like to, uh, he said it again yesterday. All you folks out there that think Trump and Putin are buddies and the Trump-Russian collusion, you're stupid. It doesn't exist. Donald Trump, in his genius, his philosophy is, I keep my enemies closer than my friends. So, yes, every now and then, I'll say something nice about Putin. Every now and then, I'll say something nice 
about Gigi. Every now and then, I'll even say something nice about Rocket Man in North Korea. Not because he likes them. He's also telling the truth. I mean, does Joe and Mika think Putin is stupid? On his dumbest day, he's ten times as bright as the both of them put together. So Putin comes out yesterday and again says, I'd rather see Biden president than Trump. Cut number seven. You asked who would be preferred as future president of the United States. I said that we would work with any president. But I suppose that for us, for Russia, Biden is more preferable. How about that? For Russia, <laughs> Biden Chuck, is more preferable. I do, no could, kidding. Could we please have this uh, stupid idiot back in <laughs> we, um, We've never been more powerful. Than this, um, really. He's just a moron. Did, Thank you. Did you see this moment, you know, after he, you know, they released these pictures of the president meeting with Navalny's widow and his daughter, and then Biden comes out and he says, um, her name is Dasha, by the way, but he calls her during the press conference afterwards, Yolanda. Oh, no, he didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Idiot. We're all, we're all the same. It's sort of like, team. <laughs> just be in office so we can take the world over. That's all. Right, big guest list. We started at 645. Steve Cohen, not the owner of the Mets. Steve Cohen was Andrew Cuomo's deputy in the attorney general's office. He was then secretary to the governor. He's a former assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District, and he wrote a good story in yesterday's Wall Street Journal about this ridiculous fraud penalty that Donald Trump is facing from Letitia James here in New York. We'll talk to Steve Cohen coming up at 645. Then we talk to Curtis Sliwa, Judge Andrew Napolitano live in studio. The Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman, my dear friend, famed uh, defense attorney Joe Tacopina, New York Met all-time great Hall of Famer Mike Piazza, and the president, the 76th president of the New York Young Republicans Club, Gavin Wax. He's going to open up a can of whoop-ass on Mike Sapraconi. All that about to come your way. Going to be a monster show. The end of the week, the Friday edition of New York's best talk show and the self-proclaimed best talk show anywhere in America. We are sitting friends in the morning exclusively on Talk Radio 77 WABC.
and friends in the morning. But you say he's just a friend. Boy, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Oi. ago at Radio City Music Hall, the great Howard Jones, no one is to blame, and I know he's not dead, so he must be celebrating a birthday today. How do you know he's, how do you know? He's not dead. Okay, how do you know? Because he actually performed with Rob Bartlett at Governor's last night. Oh. Who, who? Is he dead? I don't even know. Is he dead? He's he's not dead. How old is Howard Jones today? I see that he's 69. Oh, hey now. 92? Yeah. All right. I'll be there. Sure. My man. That's right. Howard Jones. That was a good concert that day at Radio City. He's Um, good. He's really good at concert. No, he is good. I've seen him a couple of times now. Huge guest list today. Once again, Hall of Famer Mike Piazza. Piazza going to break down the Mets. And the Mets got some more bad news yesterday. This is after both on this show, two WFAN legends, Christopher Mad Dog Russo and Joe Beningo, said the Mets are going to be lousy this year. I've been saying the same thing for weeks. The Met pitching staff is brutal. I mean brutal. Quintana, McGill, Manea. Who are these people? And they got one guy. He was great last year, the rookie Kodai Senga, 12-7, and seven, pitched to less than a three ERA. So he's out. That's it. And uh, he's out for what? Three years? No, he's just not. <laughs> no. He's going to start the start the year on the IL. It's all. Yeah, it's I've all heard fatigue. this before with but the Mets. Oh, he's just gonna, he'll be back in uh, April, it's, and then it's June. Right. No, it's which not it will really be a joke because it's the not. worst. Yeah, the worst thing that you could possibly hear at this point in spring training is arm fatigue. Spring yeah. training started. Is he tired already? We just yeah. started. Just started. Yeah. So. And, it's like and, I, I get that way like Monday morning at 5 o'clock. I go to Louis go, I'm tired already. Right, right. I haven't even done a show yet. I'm already tired. So uh, We'll talk to Piazza. You know, talking about the fan. I'm at the gym yesterday, and there's a guy next to me. This guy was tough. His name is Chris. That's all I know. And he's doing a bench press on a flat bench with 95-pound dumbbells. That's a lot of weight. This guy's tough. So he looks up at me when he finishes his set, and he goes, Hey, man, are you still on radio? Now, i got to be honest. When I first came back to New York in 2016, I would walk the streets with Bernard, uh, God rest his soul, and people would stop me all the time and go, Hey, you're back. Are you back on the fan? And I'd be like, No, no, no. 
I'm on WABC. And they'd be like, what's that? (laughs) So the last couple of years, I'm so happy because I get stopped, I don't know, 20 times a day. And they love WABC. Gone are the days where people think Sid is still on the fan. That's over. Except for this guy yesterday. I go, no, man, I got the number one show in New York. I'm kicking ass every morning. Oh, yeah. I go, let me guess. You listen to Boomer. Yep. Every morning I go back and forth between Boomer and Geo, two menses, and uh, that asshole Rick Pietro on ESPN, who's just a complete dick. So I'm like, but you're an adult. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're an adult. Like, how does any adult listen to sports? And I did it for 20 years. How does any adult get up in the morning who's got a family, real issues, and listen to two guys go back and forth about the Mets, the Yankees, if they beat Houston, they'll be good, the Knicks, if they're healthy, they'll win the championship, the Rangers are going to win the Cup, the Jets are going to take somebody to play Zach Wilson. This is what you're listening to. You couldn't be dumber. I go, you know, I'll do sports on my show. We do plenty of sports. But the migrant issue, the election these little minor things are getting in the way of the Knicks. I understand it. Get in the way of the Knicks. I go, what are you doing? I, you know, I get angry. You know how I get. And he's like, well, tomorrow morning I'm listening to you. He said, but I do have one issue. I said, what's that? He said, in my car, on my drive into New York City from Rockaway, the AM radio doesn't work all that well. Now, that is a fair criticism. In fact, you know that Donald Trump in Nashville, Tennessee, actually talked about AM radio just yesterday. I know John Katsimatidis, Chad Lopez, our fearless leaders, they have been doing an amazing job over the last year or so trying to make sure that AM radio stays in cars because more and more new cars don't have AM radio, which is ridiculous. So here was Donald Trump yesterday in Nashville, Tennessee, talking about the importance of AM radio. Cut number 15. I will protect the content that is pro-God. We're going to protect pro-God context and content. To that end, at the request of the NRB, I will do my part to protect AM radio in our cars. You know, we like to listen to AM radio. I did get an email from Margot Martin yesterday, too, which I forwarded to Justin. He saw it where her and Eliza today are going to pick the day, the week of March 18th, that Trump will join us. All I know is it'll be one day the week of March 18th at 8.30 a.m. Don't know the day yet. But I also know that the week before that, I'll be doing shows live from Miami and spending two days, including, I believe, a lunch on the 14th with President Trump. So a lot of President Trump coming up on this show the next couple of weeks. But anyway, Chris, if you're out there and you really are listening, good for you. If you're not listening... Stay stupid. Joe Nolan has traffic. That's a, what a nice message. <laughs> yeah, just stay stupid. Did you hear what Boomer said today about the Mets backup second baseman? Oh, my God. Hey, Jalen's going to get MVP. There's no oh, question. Johnson. No question about it. No question. 
What do you think the lineup will be opening day? Yeah. Hey, do you think Mika's Abinajad is going to cut his hair? <laughs> no, he can't do that before the playoffs. No, dude. it's bad luck. No, You're right. Dude, yeah. yeah. Think he's on a streak. You don't mess yeah. with the streak. Hey, what offensive lineman are the Giants going to take at number six? Oh, <laughs> uh, are you going? I'm going to go. Oh, I'm going to go too. I'm going to wear my old Jet jersey and yell and scream go. like Joe Nolan and, and, and Joe Beningo, like a bunch of eight year olds. <laughs> oh, come on, bro. <laughs> yeah. hey, bro. You got to get me in. I'm going too. Yeah, I me mean, too, man. I, I got these new face paints. Oh, and I got this. <laughs> I got this old the Bickershaw Ferguson jersey. I can't wait to put it back oh, on, man. Great. I'm wearing the sandwich board. Oh, this is man. Jets are doing it this year. Yeah. That's it, Let's watch some videos of Nick Mango, baby. Oh, That's hot. That's it. It says yeah. Stedge on it, only because I did it in the mirror, though. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> With mean, all that said, here he is, Mr. Jet, the best traffic guy in the business, Joe Nolan. Good morning, Joseph. I am going to the draft no, party. There's no way I'm not going to that. Joe, Joe. Get up there in the green room. That's a fun night. It's great. You, you are the best traffic guy in the business. You are legitimately one of the nicest people I know. But don't confuse the issue. You are a retard. <laughs> oh, it's great because half the stadium's blue, the other half's green. Everybody's there. It's great. Great night. Great night. Great night. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update sponsored by Pete Morgan of Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They are the world's best built boilers. Returning to the hardwood here after the extended all-star hiatus. And we're meeting the Knicks out in Philadelphia where they took care of the Sixers last night by a score of 110 to uh, 96, I should say. Jalen Brunson heard MVP chance each time the New York Knicks all-star stepped to the free throw line. Former Villanova All-Americans signed dozens of autographs before the game for the Philly crowd, many for fans wearing his old college jersey. Brunson had 21 points and 12 assists, and the Knicks spoiled Kyle Lowry's Philadelphia debut in the process. Bojan Bogdanovic scored 22 points. Josh Hart had 18 points and 12 rebounds at Precious Achua. Added 18 and 11 for the Knicks. New York made 18 of their 34 three-pointers up in Toronto. It's clearly all-star break to Little to fix a broken and lowly Brooklyn Nets team. Opening their second half last night with a 121 to 93 loss to the Raptors and interim head coach oh, Kevin Ollie's debut. It yeah, lost by 28. Huh? Kevin yeah. Ollie did win an NCAA championship coaching Connecticut. You he know did. that. Yeah, he did. But uh, he ain't going to win nothing in Brooklyn. No, uh, no, not when you're losing. I mean, this was a, a close game considering they lost by 50 last week. It's <laughs> <laughs> Boston, you're right. Mikael <laughs> Bridges led Brooklyn with 21 points. To the ice we go now, tying their longest winning streak in eight seasons, thrashing the rival New Jersey Devils, getting two goals from Lafreniere. Another outstanding performance from goaltender Igor Shesterkin. The Red Hot Rangers cruised to nine straight in the form of a 5-1 to one victory in Newark last night. Chris Kreider and Vincent Trocek also scored for New York, and Artemi Panarin added three assists. Shesterkin read. 39 saves and picked up his first assist of this season with a beauty down the boards as the Rangers now move within a win of tying their longest winning streak in franchise history. They won 10 straight twice in the 72-73 to season and the 39-40 to year. Uh, a year New York won the third of its four Stanley Cup titles. Out in St. Louis, the Islanders, they failed to show up against the Blues, getting blanked 4 to nothing last night. And you got to look forward to 9-15 this morning. We're having the great Met great, the Hall of Famer, Mike Piazza on the program. He'll preview a Mets spring training for us and uh, maybe Maybe sprinkle in a couple other uh, notes on the Yankees and uh, other baseball stories. That's sports. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTechless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers. I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. 
This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. I like this one, Lewis. This is one of those Billy Joel songs you very rarely hear, but it's a great song. What album was this on again? Uh, Glass Houses. Glass Houses, that's right. So we got a huge guest that's coming your way today, Curtis Sliwa, live in studio as he is every Friday. Judge Andrew Napolitano, Nassau County Executive, Bruce Blakeman, famed defense attorney, my good buddy of 47 years, Joseph Takapina. We'll talk to the president, the 76th president of the New York Young Republicans Club, Gavin Wax. He is not a big fan of Mike Sapriconi. And we'll talk to Hall of Fame catcher, New York Met great on the upcoming Met season, Mike Piazza. He'll be here at 9.15. But my next guest spent time as the deputy in the attorney general's office to Andrew Cuomo, when the former governor was the attorney general. Steve Cohen then went on to be secretary to the governor under Cuomo. He's a former assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District. And again, he does not own the New York Mets. It's not the same Steve Cohen, but a very smart and successful man. Nevertheless, he wrote a column in the Wall Street Journal, which reads, Trump's $355 million fine fits with New York law. We know that already, Steve, but it's still garbage. The verdict feels proper. No, it doesn't. But will we come to regret stretching executive law 63? So Steve knows right off the bat, no transparency. I'm a good buddy of Trump. I think this uh, case was repulsive. I think Letitia James is repulsive. I think this judge should be disbarred. They knew before this thing even started, Trump was going to be guilty. This is a bunch of nonsense, politically driven. And how do I know that? Because Letitia James ran her campaign on saying, saying it, quote, quote, I'm going to get Trump. And she got him. So I don't want to hear any law that provides some backup to Letitia James because she wanted to do this and she did it. But, but Cohen is a lawyer. And he'll present some type of case here. Stephen, good morning. How are you? Uh, good morning, and I appreciate, first of all, you making it clear that I have no affiliation with the New York Mets, given what preceded me on this broadcast. <laughs> are you a Met fan? Uh, you know, the problem is, I, although I was born in Brooklyn when I was a kid, in 1968, my parents moved me to Chicago, which will break any sports fan. Um, growing up as a, uh, you know, a, a young kid, um, you get your heart broken enough, you realize find a different sport. So uh, <laughs> I, I do not follow the Mets. I uh, I embrace ice hockey because it's the only sport that I think actually replicates life. Well, listen, I'm a big Ranger fan too. So you were a Chicago Blackhawk fan? Uh, I, you know, uh, the Blackhawks and the Devils and the Rangers are going to break your heart. They're doing it again. They're setting you up. 
Oh, I think you're 100% right. Nine straight wins, beating everybody. All their stars are playing well. Even Chesterkin's playing well again. There is no doubt, you're right, Steve, that they're setting us up for a colossal failure. But we'll see. Uh, it's been fun watching them so far this regular season. Let's get to the uh, the column. Now, you heard what I said moments ago, and that is that Letitia James never mentioned Donald Trump. And she became the attorney general, and she brought this case. Even then, it's still ridiculous, but at least you can say there's something behind it. But when you campaign on getting Trump, that was her campaign. Not, I'm going to put guilty people in jail. Not, I'm going to make the streets in New York safer. No, I'm going to get Trump. And then you get this ridiculous lawsuit. Uh, you have to admit, Steve, that whether there's law to it or not, it loses a lot of its merit. But, but you're 100% right in, in the sense that we have moved to a world where you know prosecutors were always political. I early in my career as a federal prosecutor, I've been a state prosecutor, and, and I will acknowledge that there is there, there is no laboratory of purity in which prosecutors are operating. Uh, unfortunately, and we can debate why this has happened in the last call it five to ten years, there has been a greater sense of politics in um, in offices of prosecutors, and in particular when you're dealing with elected prosecutors. More and more, as you just pointed out, they're running off of positions they're going to take, which as lawyers, they shouldn't be doing. They should be saying, I'm going to look at it. If there's a case, I'll bring it. If there isn't a case, I won't bring it, but I'm not prejudging anything. And, and with respect to uh, Tish James, no question. Uh, she ran on this. There are a number of other people who are currently in office in New York that did a similar thing. And, and it, it sure does, for the reasons you just mentioned, raise a, a, a sort of a specter of a lack of both credibility and you know fairness when it comes to those proceedings if you run on the position I'm going to make the case I'm going to win the case right so 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 that's a, a very fair assessment by you you agree with me that's great and then again even though you're going to explain to me why the executive law 63 gives her every right to do this and legally she had a right to do it uh you would agree that it's very 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 rare that you have a case like this where there's no victim. Steve, the banks didn't complain. They made a ton of money on interest. So the banks made money. Trump paid off his debts. There is no victim here. What exactly right. did and, Trump do? And that you're at the heart of, of, from a legal perspective, you can look at this politically, you could look at it legally. Legally, if you say what's going on here, and, you know, for many years I sat in a prosecutor's office uh, and tried to figure out, the most effective, efficient way to bring cases. That's part of the job. It's part of, and I don't mean to minimize it, but it's part of the game. It's the strategy. It's the tactics of what you're doing in those offices. Part of your head, though, has to go to how do I operate fairly and appropriately under the circumstances? What's odd about this, and you hit it exactly right, is that in a normal fraud case, if you were to bring a civil fraud case, the SEC were to bring a fraud case, you would have to prove that the statements were not true, that they were material. In other words, that they actually mattered, that they relied, were relied upon, and in most instances, especially in a civil case, that there were damages. 6312, the New York State executive law under which this case was brought, is a completely different animal. It is the bazooka of the armaments that an AG has. Because what 6312 does is it says, that stuff 
doesn't really matter. What matters is that there is a fraud that is persistent and pervasive, which means it just happened a lot, and that the statements tend to mislead, tend to deceive. Whether or not they deceived, whether or not they misled, becomes irrelevant. Now, you may say, why in the world do you have this kind of law? And the answer is because if you think about it in the context of consumer fraud, somebody is selling something to the consumer and they are persistently making misstatements about the item that they're selling. You want a mechanism for the AG to come in and shut that down, get an injunction, prevent it from happening. That is this law. Now, I think quite aggressively and not wrong in a legal sense, this was used in a different context. Again, I would say from a tactical standpoint, you know, kudos to the smart lawyers who figured out you could do this right. and succeeded. Right. But it does give you some pause. And, and in your case, more than some pause. No, I'm some pissed. reason to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. And then, and then I want to see, you talk about uh, in 63.12, and you're right, no argument here, repeated fraudulent or illegal acts. Now, we know, for example, how unprepared this the case was because they actually valued Mar-a-Lago at about eighteen million. Steve, if that's worth eighteen million, I will help raise the money with you today. It's it's closer to about four hundred million. So he undervalued some. They undervalued properties. He overvalued properties. And you know this. This happens in the real estate business every day. Every day. If his name wasn't Donald Trump, in a million years. Would Letitia James pursue something as silly as this again when at one point they value Mar-a-Lago about $300 million less than it's really worth? So, you know, yes, the, the, the executive, the law's there and all that, but you can talk to your blue in the face. No one is ever going to convince me that they would ever bring this case against anybody else, anybody, than Donald Trump. Well, it's an interesting issue. You, you, you could argue that in, in a prior generation, cases people forget that they should remember. Um, the Grasso case uh, that was brought under Spitzer, the Hank Greenberg case. Well, hold on. Let's um, stop there right was... there because uh, we actually got pretty funny with Dick Grasso when he ran the New York Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think you told me this yesterday. It's interesting. Spitzer was the guy that really started this type of aggressive stuff. What was that case about again? Well, the, yeah, I mean, the, the problem with the Grasso case, which, which people forget, is it was really a, a case about, um, about his level of compensation. At the time, the New York Stock Exchange was a not-for-profit, right. and the question was, um, why is he making so much money? There, there was a very powerful charities law in New York. Um, a similar situation, Spitzer quite cleverly said, we're going to look at it. Uh, there are no comparables that justify this level of pay. The problem is the board of the New York Stock Exchange, a, a bunch of incredibly well-respected um, individuals. I think at the time it was chaired by, if I'm not mistaken, Carl McCall and a number of other people, or at least I think McCall may have chaired the comp committee, blessed the compensation, and they did have comparables from private industry. That should be enough. But again, you know, to your point, these kind of selective cases leave people in the public um, with real concerns about how are you exercising discretion when you're sitting in a very powerful office. And by the way, politically, you know, these cases are very popular. Uh, and, and these laws, though, uh, especially in New York, 
there are all of these laws that people really don't pay attention to. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. the other problem with 60 through 12, which people forget, is this is not a case. I mean, people don't understand, well, where is the jury, number one? Well, there is no jury because of the nature of the proceeding. Take me 20 minutes to explain why that is, and you would still say it doesn't make any sense, but that's the law and has been the law for 200 years. You, you look at the kind of proceeding, it's a summary proceeding where the AG has a right to front load all the evidence. So the court getting into this case has all of the AG's affidavits, explanations, uh, and conclusions before the case ever begins, which is why you end up with these advanced rulings yeah. that sure look like the, this, the case has been pre-decided. And by the way, I'm not a Donald Trump fan. Um, you know, politically, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. As you said, and I worked for Andrew Cuomo for years. I got my start working for Mario Cuomo. But what I worry about, and a lot of people I, I um, work with are worried about, is this one's Trump. Could the next one be me? And I love that about this conversation and about you. It's easy for me to bring on Trump people. We're all very, very angry. But when I hear you, uh, a Democrat, Cuomo person, say, hey, this is a little scary, that means a lot more. This is uh, Steve Cohen. He was Andrew Cuomo's deputy in the attorney general's office, then secretary to the governor under Cuomo. He's a former assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District. So, Steve, I had Alina Haba on a couple days ago, and I know she has to say this. I know she does. But she seems really confident that Trump will win this in appeal. At the very least, if this fine doesn't go away, it'll be lowered significantly. If you were in Alina Habe's shoes, would you be as confident as she is? I would not. I would say exactly what she's saying, but I would be at home pulling my hair out because I do not see how you get this thing reversed on appeal. The New York law is well settled. I don't even see. You know, maybe they, they will knock down this judgment a little bit, but not much. And meanwhile, you've got this whole drama playing out right now about whether or not you can seize assets today as opposed to after uh, the appeal process is, is over. I'm frankly perplexed by all of that. You know, it's always struck me, and the law is pretty clear. You post a bond, you post some kind of undertaking that you will pay it with security, and you get your appeal, and the whole thing is stayed. So that's a game within a game. Um, that will be, I think, the next series of stories we see in this area. So you're a New York guy, and you could appreciate the economy here, business here, real estate, and all these are issues. You know, we're broke. Let's be honest. You know, we spend more time worrying about how to pay for migrants than we do uh, folks like Steve Cohen and Sid Rosenberg. That's a fact. I don't care what anybody says. So we're in, we're in a bad place here. And I think you'd agree yeah. that the last thing we could afford is that people like Donald Trump who uh, built an empire here with a very impressive company, leave. And it's not just Trump. You see the numbers, Steve. They are leaving in droves. And when I say they, I'm talking about millionaires, maybe billionaires. A case like this, you know what it says to me? If I'm a successful business guy, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to Florida. I'm going to Texas. I'm going to Dakota. I don't care. I can't practice here because Letitia James can wake up tomorrow with a, you know, with a, with a crawl up her ass and decide I'm going after you. And look, I would, I would even go further. I mean, we can, we can debate Tish James and, and how she comports herself in office. Um, and that's a political conversation. And I think I've said other places that, that generally speaking, um, I think this was a, a clever case that may trouble me on, on the fringes. I do think there's a bigger problem in, in this city, in this state. You know, there once upon a time um, was something called economic development and urban planning. And 
it now seems to exist solely in the notion of stealing jobs from New Jersey, and then they steal them back. That is not a plan that is going to keep the business community healthy and happy. Um, we have a problem with the way we police uh, in terms of things that we now characterize as crimes that aren't warrant uh, that don't warrant prosecution. I, as you said, I used to be a federal prosecutor. What what is lost in, in that statement is actually was um, one of the founding members of the uh, gang unit in the New York State, the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, where we prosecuted um, street crime and gangs and murders. And I think we're blessed right now that the the violent crime rate is relatively low, but the amount of uh, crime that goes on in any given neighborhood, it affects the ability of a local business operator to, to run a successful restaurant or store or pharmacy is deeply troubling. Mm-hmm. And while you know the headline cases are important, I'm not going to ever suggest that the New York State Attorney General's office shouldn't be doing big marquee cases. We did it when I was there. At the same time, where is the planning on the part of prosecutors to deal with the kind of crime that affects every one of our lives, takes place in the subway, takes place in the stores? And there's a real sense that it is uh, corrosive in a way that affects everybody. True. So in the final 60 seconds, another person that I dislike as much as Letitia James, and it is personal for me, is this Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. I think he's a fat stupid embarrassment. Steve, you're on my show now. Things are different here. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's how I talk. He's a fat, stupid embarrassment. And I have to tell you that when Rachel Mitchell decides in Phoenix, I'm keeping this creep who murdered that woman in a Soho hotel here because I don't trust that Alvin Bragg will penalize him the way he should. While Alvin Bragg complains, I give Rachel Mitchell the MVP for the week. I feel you'll feel differently, but that's how I feel and many New Yorkers. Well, look, I'll tell you my position on uh, on Alvin Bragg. I know Alvin Bragg. Um, he followed me by a few years in both the U.S. Attorney's Office and the uh, New York State Attorney General's Office. It, it, Alvin Bragg was elected, and there isn't a thing Alvin Bragg is doing. I don't live in, in Manhattan. I live in Brooklyn, um, so I didn't vote in that election. But Alvin Bragg told you what he was going to do, and now he's doing it. And people have to pay attention and participate in elections because – a lot of folks are in office that people are complaining about now, but they told you exactly what you were going to were going to get with them. Yep. And, and so, you know, there's an election coming up. If people don't like Alvin, they ought to get out and they ought to support other candidates. There, there were plenty of other candidates in that particular race. I think ten people ran for DA. Um, and, and by the I way, by the way, including my bunny, uh, who's representing Daniel Penny these days, uh, an American hero, the great Thomas Kniff. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. You know, there, there are, in that race at least, a lot of times you complain there aren't any choices. There were a lot of choices. Um, and similarly, you know, on the citywide races, there have been a lot of choices. People have to start paying attention. And I am acutely aware and at times deeply troubled, given my own background and the kind of cases I did, that we're not taking low-level offenses seriously anymore. And I understand the social arguments. I understand that there are all sorts of other economic forces and drivers. But at the end of the day, if I'm operating a local store on the corner and people consistently come in and steal goods from me, it has to be more than a revolving door. And that's just the way life is. Agreed. I see people jumping the... um 
the uh, the train, you know, every day. Uh, and I pay. And I know. Yeah. And I pay 135 I mean, bucks a month. <laughs> and when I say it's corrosive, the, the problem is that, you know, the people who are jumping, if you actually sit and watch, a lot of these people are people who can afford to pay the fare. Oh, yeah. It's because, you know, the attitude is I'm not going to be a sucker. The other guy isn't paying. Why should I pay? Right. And why should I be bothered? Exactly. Uh, this is a very good column, folks. Trump's $355 million fine fits with New York law. It actually does. The verdict uh, feels proper, not for me, but will come to regret stretching executive law 6312, Steve Cohen. That's a heck of an appearance, Steve Cohen. Thank you very, very much. Great job. Thank you. Thank you so much. Real pleasure. Take care. There he is. Uh, Steve Cohen used to work alongside Andrew Cuomo in the AG's office. Very impressive, smart guy. That wraps up hour number one. Big hour number two about to come your way. That's right, folks. You've got Curtis Sliwa and the judge live in studio. Andrew Napolitano. Hour number two about to come your way. I really wish I was less of a thinking man And more of fool who's not afraid of rejection All night long, all night long I'll just be standing here Cause I know I don't have the guts to come on And I'll be sleeping with the television on Your eyes are saying talk to me So my attitude is for Don't waste your time But I won't say a word Cause it I'll be somebody else's same old life. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC.
day very, very vividly, my next-door neighbor, a guy by the name of Joseph Iovine, who I idolized my whole adolescent life. Now Joseph is close to 60. We still remain best friends and brothers. He lives in New Jersey, but he grew up at 2212 Quentin Road, and I grew up at 2216, and Joseph was... Real good looking, like John Travolta. Had the Pontiac Firebird, went to St. John's, went to Good Shepherd. All the girls loved him. And I remember the day he said, uh, hey, you know that song by the SOS band? I go, yeah, I like that song. He goes, I'm going to walk to King's Highway. If you want to come with me, we're going to go to J&R Music World and buy the album. And uh, we used to walk to King's Highway by baseball cards, too. So we walked to King's Highway to this uh, music store, and we bought that song, and I must have played it a thousand times. And my late father, Harvey, was like, oh, God, enough already. But I remember that day very vividly, and because it is Friday, and we always play disco for my main man, Curtis Sliwa, on Fridays, because he ate that floor up, whether it was the Underground, Xenons, the Fun House, uh, Bedrocks. He did it all. Curtis, of course, gets uh, huge ratings, noon to one Every weekday afternoon, he's been getting huge ratings, to be honest, 11 to 1 the last four days, overnight weekends, and here with me. But during my uh, last conversation with Steve Cohen, and thank you for a lot of your texts, I really enjoyed that. He's Cuomo's guy, no question, but he, uh, I thought he was very, very fair. I mentioned during the conversation, I'm sick and tired of paying $135 a month for unlimited subway rides when I see guys... Right when I walk in, jump over the turnstile. And they're wearing suits. They're not young kids with hoodies and guns. I don't get it. And Curtis is about to remind me that 135 a month isn't even enough. Well, hold on a second. SOS band, right? I think based on your love of disco, my love of disco, and your left out pastels in 2001 Odyssey, Bay Ridge, is that we need to host a bell-bottom bash. That'd be great. You and I should do that. That's right. Sid Rosenberg, Curtis Lee. There's pastels now. There's a place uh, in Staten Island. Pastels like fifty five plus. All the baby boomers who went to disco. It's called pastels. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but it's not Hannah and no, Wardy no, and those no, guys. Not. But still, a lot of the people who went there. Where, what did they do? They moved over the plank to Staten Island. And they go to or this they, club. Went to Jersey. Yeah. Have you been to the club? Yeah. Vito Bruno brings me there. Vito used to run all those clubs. He oh, goes, yeah, Vito Bruno, of course. Right, he ran for state senate and Bay Ridge. He yeah. was like my number one. I like one. him. I like so, him. Oh, great guy. He knows the clubs. And he said, well, we got to go to Pastels to campaign. I said, Pastels? He goes, yeah, they set up a new Pastels. Uh, basically, 55-plus crowd, you know, baby boomers into disco. I walked in there. You would have thought I was Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. Oh, they loved you, huh? And then they let me rock the mic. They did. Which is something you know the DJ never let you No, do. but you're Paco. good. So, wait, now, we where is you, this? baby, Paco. <laughs> where is this? I think Richmond Road. I'll find out. I'll get you the information. Oh, I, I want to do that. Listen, there's two things we're going to do. Yes. I'm letting the listeners know now because I've been out on the road with Curtis a couple of times now. We did rallies together, town halls, and the people love it. And a lot of people, and this is no disrespect to anybody else at this station, I mean that, but almost every person I talk to say the same thing. My two favorite hosts are Sid and Curtis, and sometimes not in that order, to be honest, to your credit. Well, that's so, a bag. No, that's a fact. So uh, what I want to do with Curtis is he's a big baseball guy, big Yankee guy. So the first home series for the Mets, which is the uh, March 28th against the Brewers, and the Yankees 
They spend the first seven games on the road. They're four in Houston, three in Arizona. They return home April the 5th for Toronto. I want to walk into both local baseball stadiums and the Barry Hawks at some point with Curtis. Because I think New Yorkers will go nuts. Jeez. I've been to both. I'll get a better reception at City Field, even though I, they know really? I hate to met. Because they're blue-collar working-class guys and gals. And you also talk bad. You're a Yankee fan, but you talk bad about yeah, the Yankees. Yeah, but the Yankees, that's more white-collar. Come on, I'm a Yankee fan, but they're more white-collar. Suburbs, you know, Westchester, Jersey. New, New York Mets fans, Brooklyn, Queens, Nassau, Suffolk. You know what's funny about what you just said? When you leave this city, like I was, I lived in Florida for 16 years. And people think the Bronx, those are the Yankee fans. But Curtis is right. Like, I only went to Yankee games when I got Mitchell Modell seats because he sat behind home plate yeah. and I was able to have steak and lobster before the game. There's a lot of Mitchell Modell types at the Yankee oh, games. Oh, big time. All corporate. By the way, you go to the old Shea Stadium parking lot, it looked like the demolition derby remains, you know, from Islip, Long Island. Remember, they <laughs> yeah. had the demolition yeah. derby out there. But anyway... You mentioned that coming up is Gavin Wax. You mentioned Studio 54 yesterday. Why was I always rejected when I would queue up at uh, Studio 54? If, in fact, Gavin Wax were queuing up at an imaginary Studio 54, you know why they would let him in? Why? you got to refer to him by his new name, Count Gavin Wax. Count Gavin Wax. I don't know what you're saying. You know, like the Count? Yes, but why? Uh, Hungary or Romania? Yes. Count Dracula? Oh, yes. He does hang out with all those Hungarian guys right, all the time. His name is now Count. For real? Ask him, yes. Are you friendly with him? Yes. I like him, you too. Gotta, you got to ask. Okay. you got to refer to him as Count Gavin Wax. He actually reached out to me. Now, I reached out to Gavin back in November because I heard Trump was coming to town. And not only did Gavin Wax get me into that party at Cipriani's that night, he sat me right next to Trump. Yeah, but you had to abide by the dress code policy yes. of the talks. Yes. Meantime, who's sitting next to you? Looks like he hasn't taken a bath in five years. Oh, Steve Bannon? Comes in with fatigues yeah, yeah. Like, he's, like he's right from the Ukrainian <laughs> no, front. I love Steve. Rules no. for you, but not for him. He was wearing the same thing yesterday at CPAC in Washington. But explain to me, Gavin will join us coming up at 945. And he reached out to me because he hates he hates Mike Sapriconi. We'll get to that later. Why is one thirty-five a month, Curtis, not enough for me? I and all the taxpayers in New York City are tired of subsidizing you, Sid Rosenberg. Me? Yeah, when Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, who single-handedly destroyed this city uh, that we love, he said, oh, the future of transit are these speed ferries. And he subsidized each trip six dollars and fifty cents. So you pay your, your metro card swipe back then. It was two seventy five. It's now three. You for one swipe, you get to go out to the Irish Riviera. You know what it costs us each taxpayer for just one of your rides to subsidize it? I don't care. Thirteen bucks. Oh well. Who the hell do you think you are? Sid Rosenberg, number it, one radio host yeah, in New York. You're like a welfare mama, right? <laughs> we talk about welfare cheats, shakedown subsidies. Oh no, no more subsidies Curtis, for you folks. You want me to swim home? What do you want no, me to do? A train. Can't take the A train. Did I give you a red beret and a red sardine jacket? <laughs> yeah. Right. My son was trying to convince me that if I take the A train to the shuttle, not the shuttle at Grand Central. Yeah, or a channel. Yeah. He's like, you'll be okay, Dad. I'm like, wait a second. That means you took it? I'll kill you. What do you mean you can't Beach take that one train? Beach 116 channel, you're okay. But I'll tell you what. When I was a kid, and you go out to uh, Mott Avenue, Far Rockway, all the bungalows, your Jewish folks were in their bungalows for the summer, beautiful beach. You stopped at Broad Channel. You had to pay a second fare. 
Really? Yes, you had to pay a second fare to so go the rest of the way. So it's cheaper now. You should be happy. No, I'm subsidizing each of your rides <laughs> for $13. Hey, take the train. No more subsidies. Sink the ferries. That's what they should do. Uh, we need some groins uh, to, to prevent beach uh, encroachment there in the Rockways. <laughs> Let's sink those ferries out. What a boondoggle. And your friend Eric Adams, you're going to be begging him, please subsidize it. All, the, all us privileged people, we want to take that speed ferry. You don't see no homeless and emotionally disturbed on the speed ferry. All right, so hold on a second. Eric Adams, okay. He's going to be the mayor for at least another, how long, Curtis? Well, I don't know if he gets taken in chains and shackles to the big house for corruption, but to Let's 2025, do 2025, 2025, okay. years. And then he's going to lose the primary yes. to Andrew Cuomo. You can write it down, it's over. He's what? Done. What? It's done. Wait, Andrew said he would never challenge Eric Adams. Okay, Andrew Cuomo is going to win that. And so Andrew Cuomo is going to face off against you. Yeah! And uh, while you become, like, my best friend, really, yeah. and I love you, and you're doing a great job on this show, and I really believe that no one has this city's best interests in mind more than you, if you're telling me that you are going to stop subsidizing the ferry, absolutely, then I'm going to vote for Cuomo. Well, oh, yeah. At meantime, we'll be bankrupt. I don't care. Uh, I got to get home. Yeah, you, I'm not worried about you. Next, I got to get home. Your next home will be Boca Raton. <laughs> You'll be out of here. By the way, uh, Andrew Evilites Cuomo, I was listening to the guy who formerly worked for him in the AG's office. He was saying, you know, people leaving, going, don't you remember Andrew Cuomo told everybody, if you don't like it right, if you're a conservative, no, that you're was Republican. Hoko. That was Hoko. Oh, no. Uh, Hoko. Remember, I got the files. I'm the J. Edgar Hoover on Andrew Evilites Cuomo. I'm going to send you that cut. He started it four years before her. Is that right? Leave here. Get out of here. I, I, you're I, out of New I, York. I have to hear the cut. Oh, baby. I remember Hoko telling me, Lee Zeldin, Donald Trump. Yes, yes. That, where, but where I do don't remember think, Cuomo. Where do you think she learned that from? Andrew <laughs> Evilites Cuomo. But anyway, let me say one thing. You and I, we have split. I, I was really pissed at the beginning of the week. Here is our, our boss, right? John Katsimatidis playing King Solomon, deciding, okay, Brian Kilmeade's away, midwinter break, probably with his kids somewhere, having a good time, good vacation. So he splits it. I said, John, you always gave me those two hours. Now, now just to be uh, honest here, while this has become radio shtick all week long. It ain't shtick. Right. You were really pissed. Totally. Like, seriously pissed. Totally. You felt disrespected. Did I not get to two hours before whenever Brian killed me, which way before the rip and read from 12 to 1? You always did. And I must say, I would have been fine with you getting it now. Trust me. It wasn't like I was begging John and Chan and Margo to give me the extra hour. When they came to me and asked me, I was all too happy to do it. But I would have been just as I'll happy you if what, you did. I'll tell you what. But the issue becomes, I'm getting huge ratings. Yeah, and I am too. But of course. Why don't we let this? Because there's no, I don't know how Brian Kilme comes back, right? <laughs> it's like, I mean, we have smoked him and we smoked Mark Simone over at WOO, Women's Only Radio. You know, it's always saying, oh, look at my ratings. Oh, no, Mark, not this week. A combination of Rosenberg and Sleewell. We've been a wrecking crew. But we need someone to determine who did better. The only person here who worked both shifts is our own news director, Noam Lading. Uh, who did better at what? Well, your hour versus right? my hour in terms of quantity, quality, oh, performance. Oh, yeah. So, Noam, uh, put your, um, uh, let's say, bipartisan hat on. Right. And your observations, because you've been here for each and every one of the extra edition shows Monday, and today will be the last one Friday before Brian returns on Monday. Let me tell you what's weighing heavy on my decision, Curtis. 
is two events that I saw with you in the past two weeks that are just disgusting. The first one <laughs> is you stole Valentine candy off of our salesperson Leslie Slender's desk. What? Then handed it to your wife as a Valentine's Day present. He ripped the note off. Yeah. He handed it to this. It's really expensive candy. Yeah. And there's this moment that they videotape, they take pictures of, they put it up on the, all the social media sites, and she kisses him. She's all excited. Then when she leaves the room, Curtis grabs the bag this beautiful thing of candy, puts it back on Leslie's desk and the note on, and Nancy never gets the candy. So that's the first thing. Well, let me just say this, and I'm involved in this competition. Right. I think he's a genius. Well, let me take it a step further. I'm actually upset that I didn't do that for Danielle. (laughs) (laughs) The second thing that I want to point out, which is even worse for Valentine's Day, or maybe in the days since Valentine's Day, Curtis has given Nancy his scabies. You gave it to her? Uh, She's itching. Oh, uh, Curtis. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what's fun is scabies sex, so that's cool. It's a rub. <laughs> or you like pus-filled now, stuff she's all She's now over being treated by Dr. Joel Casimir. No, did, she, did she already have a bed? Yeah, and guess what uh, she had to start with? What? What Dr. Sid Rosenberg talked about ivermectin. She started already? <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Can I? So, uh, can so, I? So wait a second. Before so you go any further, repeat that. Can so I concede that I can see that you did a better job? <laughs> you know there are HIPAA rules here, no lady. Mind your own beeswax. My God. Well, I just well, want to wait see. a second. Though we're not, we're not deciding I who did better. Valentine's Day. No, no but boss, no boss. You did better. Enough, no enough. <laughs> More people listen to this segment and all my other oh, 59 God. hours a week oh. of radio at WABC. You're killing me here. Well, for that reason, by the way, oh. I think Sid should get that oh. second. Yes, hour. yes. Funny. I concede. I concede to that. Right. Promise you won't say anything more. That's it. Not I gave Nancy, Danielle no. flowers. Curtis gave Nancy scabies. I win. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And by the way, you mentioned your oh, darling uh, daughter. Yes, Ava, yes. Playing tennis. Yes. And you would never, never let her compete against a transgender, right? Well, I, I would go out there and beat up the father. I'd start there. The kid is probably too young. Ava was 10 years old. But I would punch the father right across the face. How quickly you forget Uh-oh. Renee Richards, Renee, which means reborn, who was born a man in Forest Hills who went to Horace Mann High School and was an all-star wide receiver on the football team, a pitcher on the baseball team, who was drafted by the Yankees, a four-letter man, tennis and swimming to boot. And then he goes to Yale. He's the captain of the tennis team, considered one of the best male tennis players in America. But he's decided he needs gender reassignment. He is a a man in body, but he he's dressing like a woman now. You know, hush, hush, much, much. And, you know, that was considered a perversion back then. What year was this? 1976. And you know who called Bustam on the gender reassignment surgery? A local TV anchor named Richard Carlson, who is the father of Tucker Carlson. No way. Yes. Yes. And then Renee Richards had to sue the United States Tennis Association because they wouldn't let him play. And eventually they let him play. An ophthalmologist, you know, I mean, come on, man. You you wouldn't let her play, R- Renee Richards? <laughs> no. You know who Renee Richards became after her tennis career? She became the coach of Martina Navatarola, who now hates transgenders playing. Yes, she does. Isn't this ironic? Her coach yeah. was what? Renee Richards. That's crazy. Now, this is you, a bizarro world of what? Now, do you know that Martina Navratilova 
has a very, very young wife or girlfriend. And do you know that I watch Martina every week? I say, what do you watch Martina every week? Believe it or not, she's a cast member of the Real Housewives of Miami. Martina Navratilova. Ain't nobody going to mess with that lady. <laughs> yeah. No, no. She's older. Now, remember? She's been through cancer. Remember? I know. But remember? When, when she, she was, was in her prime, she had bigger arms than Pete She Sampers. was in Dallas, and she was dating your friend from the Rockaways. Remember the female basketball player you used to have on with Bernard McGurk? Oh, 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 oh really? Uh, yes. Oh, come on. She coached. Uh, see, see, one of your people. Yes, one of your she, she, she won. She coached oh, see, the see, B3 to I a championship. You. A courtesy with Super Sports Spectacular moment where I called you. Bill Mason would have got this on Channel 5. Oh, she won the gold medal, too. Oh, see I this? should know this. Lieberman, right? Yes, Nancy Lieberman. See, very oh, good. I got A courtesy with Super Sports Spectacular moment. They were girlfriends. I'm telling you, don't mess with uh, <laughs> Navatarola. She's like on a war against transgenders. Oh, man, raise the roof. I have conceded to the King David of talk radio, Sid Rosenberg. Although, Mark Simone, you can't dance on our grades here at WABC. You're good, but you're not better than the combination of the wrecking crew, Rosenberg and Sliwa. From 6 in the morning to 1, there is nothing in radio that can stand in our way. Brian Kilmeade, you better get back. You may not have two hours left. We're live. We're local here at WABC. Number one in the nation from coast to coast by day. And number one around the world at night when you're going to hear me all weekend long on Monday, excuse me, Saturday, Sunday, 12 midnight to 6 until the break of dawn. And we're going to do a tribute to Travolta and Saturday Night Fever tonight. All the great disco classics, no politics, entertainment, theater of the mind. That's what makes us great at WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. When Frank Morano leaves in the morning, he leaves on the computer, which is in front of me. I don't know. I don't use computers. I don't know. Nowadays on my phone, that's all. But he leaves up for some reason, like the email of his cuts that okay. he uses on his show. I'll know? see that on mine sometimes. Yeah, you too. see that too, right? Well, sometimes. If, if yeah, so he's got open. like a Seinfeld here, <laughs> some family lawyer talking about some trial. He's probably got like three William Shatner cuts. <laughs> well, here we go. I can't no, believe no. you just said that. You're kidding. I swear to God. <laughs> William Shatner talking about the moon landing. <laughs> so for some reason, uh, this psycho Frank Morano thinks that Captain Kirk really did travel outside this galaxy. 
William Shatner on the moon landing. As if he's walked on the moon, by the way. And by the way, if he did it today, man. Oh, actually, he did do it, didn't he? Circle yes. the Earth or something? Yes. yes. Yeah. With he's Elon got, Musk. He's got three cuts from Shatner, who, um, he's just, he's just, he's silly, come on. And he's got, it's embarrassing. And then he's got two cuts from somebody named Dr. Sky. Dr. Sky. Yeah, it's Steve Cates. Well, he goes on, and in front of John's, I think, he goes on the yeah, who he is. These, these, are, these are crazy Anybody people. named Dr. Scott? Yeah, who he is? <laughs> these are crazy people. Sounds like somebody who played for the Sixers in yeah. the uh, 80s. Yeah, pretty much, right? My name is Dr. Cates, but I'd like Julia to call him Dr. Dr. Scott. <laughs> I prefer... Oh, Dr. Sky with the slam! <laughs> so just in case I was upset this morning that I missed the Frank Morano show last night. Yeah, you, you, got, can, you got the gist right there. You can uh, play it, right? I, I see the cuts, and I almost thank God that I missed it. <laughs> Talk to the judge. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. Here's the thing. So you're going to appeal this, and um, I believe you're going to win, but, but, before yeah. all that, if I'm correct, again, if I'm wrong, just correct me. Uh, you still have to post that money yeah. in the next yeah. 30 days. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, yeah. so you post the money, you start the appeal process. And again, I'm asking for expertise. How long could that take in an effort to get this back? Years. Years? Years. Yeah, it depends. You know, it depends. The appellate division, the courts are backed up in general. Um, of course, we're going to try and expedite everything. But, uh, you know, the appeals process is not a quick one. Uh, motions on appeal, appeals of trial records are, you know, 11 weeks of trial and going in and drafting that and then opposition from the other side and then a reply from our side. It's uh, it's. You know, it could absolutely take a year, two years. I mean, it depends on the speed of the appellate division, but it, it, it's definitely a long haul. So he's going to post over 400, assuming he does this, he's going to post over $400 million and then have to wait maybe a year, two years, three years to win the appeal to get that money back? Mm-hmm. Ay, ay, ay. That's Trump attorney Alina Haba on the show a couple of days ago. So Judge Andrew Napolitano, one of my favorite people ever, he's live in studio right now as he is every Friday. So I start off the conversation with her by saying, you're going to appeal this, and I think you're going to win. But um, about an hour ago, yeah. I had a guy named Steve Cohen on. He was Steve Cohen? Not the Mets. Oh, okay. <laughs> this Steve Cohen happened to be Andrew Cuomo's deputy in the AG office when Cuomo was the AG. Right. He was also secretary to Cuomo. He's a former assistant, a U.S. attorney in the Southern District. And I told him what Hobbes said. And he said, well, of course. He said, if I was Trump's attorney, I would say the same thing. He said, but the law's on the books. And if you're asking me what I think, I think uh, it's almost impossible to win this appeal. What do you think? Well, I disagree with Mr. Cohen most respectfully, respectfully, and I don't know him. And he he's a New York lawyer and I'm not. So that's our, our base positions. But there are a number of issues on appeal. The absence of a jury trial, even though the Constitution guarantees one. 
the uh, he said that he said it's been that way for two hundred years. But it's wrong. Uh, to, uh, either nobody's yeah, challenged it, wrong, it, or, it, it, wrong and illegal are two different things. Correct. Correct. So it's wrong under the Constitution, either because it's never been challenged or the the courts haven't looked at it properly. Secondly, this is theft because the government cannot show any harm. This is not compensation to the government. When uh, uh, Justice Engeron asked the government's lawyers, how did Donald Trump's behavior behavior harm the government? You know what they said? They said that Deutsche Bank loaned him too much money because he gave them the wrong evaluations on his property, and Deutsche Bank had less money to lend to small banks, that is to small businessmen. That is ridiculous. What about all the money that Deutsche got back in interest? The, the, the money that Deutsche Bank lends doesn't come from their reserves. It comes from the Federal Reserve. Right. They can lend all the money of they course. want. Do you so, know, though, uh, talking about this case, I know you do, but about Executive Law 6312. I don't know it by that number. So what does it say? Executive Law 6312, my good friend, says this. The civil statute empowers the New York Attorney General to pursue cases involving quote, repeated fraudulent or illegal acts or persistent fraud or illegality in the carrying on, conducting, or transaction of business. In other words, the attorney general can petition the court to prohibit the continuance of the fraudulent practices toward a restitution as well as damages and, where appropriate, to cancel any New York State certificate of incorporation. In other words, there's a law on the books here that basically says James can do what she wants. Yes and no. That is the law under which she sued. But she still has to show harm to the state, none, to Deutsche Bank, none. Deutsche Bank's uh, bankers got on the witness stand and said, not only did we not lose money, he's the best client we ever had. He pays everything back. He pays on time. He pays He pays with interest. And then the Deutsche Bank guy looked at the former president of the United States and said, if he ever wants to get back in this business, we'll run to him again. <laughs> I mean, that was a moment that should have been on television because it it crushed her case. The very uh, executive law that you read presumes harm and presumes damages. There was none. That's why in my column yesterday, I entitled it Donald Trump and government theft, where there is no harm and the government still takes property from you. That's called theft. I agree. And that's what happened to him. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Talk more. Judge Napolitano, he's got to go across the street. So let's get a quick break. Get him right back here. Talk about what else can Trump do? Does he have to put up all half a billion dollars in the next 30 days? Is there a bond? What is that going to cost him? Can we him? talk about Dr. Sky? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the hell that is. <laughs> More Judge Napolitano right into this. Friends in the morning, 77 WABC.
about 8 o'clock now on your Friday morning. Don't forget, got a couple of great guests still to come. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman coming up after the 8 o'clock news. We'll talk to famed defense attorney, my dear friend of 47 years, Joe Takapina at 840. All-time New York Met great, the Hall of Famer Mike Piazza. Mm. He'll be here at 915. And then we'll talk to the uh, the president of the Young Republicans Club of New York. I like this guy a lot, Gavin Wax. He'll be here, too, and more. But back with uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano. So I asked Alina a couple of days ago about right. putting up that, that money in 30 days, which when you combine uh, Trump's 355, his two sons find $8 million, and about $100 million in interest, 97000 a day, the bill comes out very close to a half a billion dollars. But somebody said to me, but yes, you can get a bond, which would obviously lessen the amount of money up front. How does all that work? So he can file the appeal tomorrow, and he doesn't need the bond to file the appeal. But to stop the state from executing, from taking $500 million from his wealth, he needs either to deposit so it's let's round it out at four, because that's what it probably is this morning. It's going to be five by Easter at ninety seven thousand a day. Uh, he needs to either deposit four hundred million dollars in the court's account. If he wins, he gets it back with nine percent interest or purchase a bond, which is an insurance policy, naming the court as the beneficiary. In order to purchase that bond, he'll have to pledge assets worth twice the value of the bonds. You're talking about it'll have to pledge unsecured real estate, unsecured at $800 million, and he'll have to pay a premium on the bond, which is probably about 10000 a month. This is a very, very expensive proposition. The bond, if he loses, that money goes right uh, to the court. If the bond is worth more than the than the judgment is, he gets the difference back. The $400 million in the bank, if he loses, goes right to the court. If he wins, comes back to him with interest. These are decisions he has to make, and he has to make them in the next two weeks because Attorney General James has said she's going to start the process of execution. When his lawyers went to Justice Engeron yesterday, Thursday, saying, would you delay execution until the appellate division rules? Justice Engeron, they reversed you six times. There's a chance they're going to interfere with this. He gave a one-word answer. No. No. Yeah. So so Tish James can start uh, execution within 30 days of his signing the judgment. He's due to sign the judgment today. When you say execution, she is clearly looking to take his assets. Correct. She wants 40 Wall Street really badly. She works right across the street. Correct. Correct. She she will find assets unencumbered and seize them, and the court will transfer title from the Trump organization or whichever one of his corporation's title is in to the state of New York. What would you do if you were Trump? Would you go the... I'll find four hundred million, or go the bond route. I would go the bond route. You would, yeah. Uh, it's you know he doesn't have to find the four hundred million right now. Now he may have uh, four hundred million. She says he does, Alina. Well, there's a team at Forbes magazine that devotes itself to tracking his wealth. They say he has four ten in liquid assets. However, his Truth Social is about to go public. He could personally acquire a billion in cash. From that IPO. Wow. If he does How that. How quickly could he do that? Well, he could do that in the next, uh, well, not in 30 days. Right. But he could do it pretty soon. Right. In my opinion, that would be, and you know, I'm a lawyer, not an economist or a financial advisor, but that would be the most financially safe way for him to do it. You think on the way out here that Georgia is going to disqualify Fannie Willis? Yes. You do. But I don't think that uh, that's going to affect the case. Uh, I think she has another uh, team of prosecutors ready to go, and they're going to say, hey, judge, we're ready to try the case. 
So uh, this is this has become a sideshow and she has become a disgrace to the uh, legal profession in Georgia and, quite frankly, uh, nationally. If she wants to save her career, she should withdraw herself. But I don't think she'll do that because she's a politician and she somehow thinks that this is going to turn into making her the governor. Uh, One more time. Tell everybody about that great column. What about Donald Trump yesterday? Well, I wrote a column called Donald Trump. Uh, and government theft, and it explains how the statute is unconstitutional, the judge used the wrong definition of fraud, and you cannot take property from somebody if they haven't harmed you, and he hasn't harmed anyone in this case. So again, on the way out, you really believe that Alina Haba is being truthful when she tells me on this show two days ago she feels very confident they can win the appeal. He's been uh, he's been appealed six times during, uh, two before the trial, four during. All six times he was reversed. The same appellate judges are going to hear this appeal. I agree with Alina. I do think it'll take three or four years, but I agree this will be reversed. Judge Napolitano, you're beautiful. The sun is out. I know. Look. I know. And look, you're wearing a red tie, a nice pressed white shirt. You look like a million bucks. Look buddy. out on the street corner. Dr. Sky. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard of it. You love Dr. So Sky. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Judge. Love you, sir. See you next too. Friday. All right. That's the great Judge Andrew Napolitano live in studio every Friday. Well, he does a magnificent job. He's funny. He's funny, too. He's funny. He's funny. He loves Dr. Sky. We'll take a short break. Big 8 o'clock hour to come your way. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman and Bain Defense Attorney, the great Joseph Tacopino. Don't forget Mike Piazza coming up at 915. Keep it right here. accident trust gabo law personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time gabo law has recovered millions for their clients and they will be able to help you but don't take our word for it read their five-star reviews from former clients on google avo and facebook call gabo law today 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or Email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O-Law.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. From my friends. 77 WABC. The number varies, but it's between a half a percent and one percent of the population. And we welcome them here in Nassau County to participate in sports and everything else we have to offer, just not on teams that identify themselves as a girls' team or a women's team. People talking and they're saying that you're leaving. So unhappy with the way that you've been living. We always wish for money.
Missing you earlier. This is change. I don't believe, you know, we um, on this show with the great Lou Rafino, who's a musical genius, I must say. Eddie Murphy once called Stevie Wonder a musical genius. It was either raw or delirious, I forget which one. But I'm calling uh, Lou a musical genius. And he always uh, puts together these lists of birthdays and heavenly birthdays. But I don't believe Wait is celebrating anything today, but... We're just celebrating John Waite. We like him. <laughs> you know, you should have seen your your face this morning. I love John Waite, man. Well, when you came in at 5 o'clock, so behind the scenes, so you'll tell me, I think we're going to open with, and it's during the news, so I'm listening to you like, yeah, yeah, whatever, okay, and then I'll tell you something, and then you'll tell me something, and you were done. I want to play John Waite, <laughs> missing you. Because we'll want to talk about Wendy Williams. Wendy Williams. But yeah. you look down on all the paper that I have when I write down so much stuff, and you saw his name, John Waite's name, at the top of the paper. It was so weird, bro. Talking yeah. about Dr. Sky, that was weird. You went, wait, why is he written? Why do you yeah. have that written down? Why did you have that written down? I was going to play this song. Oh, my yesterday. God. I just write things down so that I have my head and I don't have to think during the show. A lot. So I write. I wrote it down. I went, oh, let's play that song. Never did. And it was the piece of paper that you saw. Yeah. And his name was on the top. And he, it was strange. It was. I had just asked for John Wade, and there's his name but on a you, piece of paper. You didn't stop looking really uh, mystified. You were backing out yeah. the room like, wait, bro, that's weird. I got scared, bro. <laughs> yeah, I got weird. scared. I did. Why do you have to <laughs> yeah. down? See, that song, Change, makes so much sense for my next guest because some of these kids are going through changes. God help them. And then, of course, Bruce Blakeman is changing the way we do things in Nassau County, which is why, in my opinion, which is the only opinion that matters, it's my show. Bruce Blakeman is a hero. He's a Nassau County executive. You know, I say this all the time, and I mean this. And I was friends and still am with Laura Curran before Bruce. This guy is great. This guy's stance on Israel, his stance on the police, even when he offered to name a street in Bernard's name, and now this transgender stuff. I'm going to say it before Bruce hops on. Normal people are sick of it. Yes, that's right. You want to get mad at me? F you. Normal people are sick of it. I've got a 19-year-old daughter who who was a really good tennis player. She played against some stiff competition. She trained under Rick Macy. If you ever saw the movie that uh, Will Smith won the Academy Award for, King William, whatever the hell it was, Rick Macy was a guy in Florida that trained the Williams sisters. He also trained, I believe, Sharapova, Kornikova, Roddick. I don't even know the names. doesn't matter. 
Ava trained with him. She was great. It cost me and Danielle hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if some kid walked on the court with a set of balls, literally, but walked on the court because he identifies himself as a girl, if he was too young, I'd punch his father across the face. That's how I feel. So Bruce Blakeman did the right thing yesterday. There are protesters outside. Those people are grotesque. And listen, maybe some of them have kids that are going through this. I don't know. If that's the case, I actually sympathize with those people. But if you don't have anyone going through this and you really believe it's okay for a boy to play sports with girls, you're garbage. You're a moron. I'm sick of it. So thank you, Bruce Blakeman. Good morning, Bruce. How are you? Hey, Sid, good morning. Anything I said there you disagree with? <laughs> no, I listen. Uh, I think it's a common sense issue, number one. And I also think it's a bullying issue. I mean, a transgender male that wants to play sports in an all-girls league or an all-women's league is bullying these girls and women, and we're not going to stand for it in Nassau County. They can compete against other males, or they can compete in a co-ed league. We are not anti-transgender. We are a welcoming county, but we also are a county that stands for fairness. And these girls practice really hard to get good at what they do in sports. And men are coming in, and they're identifying themselves as transgender, and they're winning and setting records in girls' and women's sports. It's unfair, it lacks common sense, and it defies simple biology. The solution is really simple, and I've been saying it for years. You have women's sports, you have men's sports, you have trans sports. Let these people, God bless them all, I'm aware of the suicide rate and all that goes along with it, and that does sadden me. So let these people compete amongst themselves. They don't even belong in co-ed sports. i got to be honest, Bruce. I think you're being too nice. Men versus men, women versus women, trans versus trans. Bang! All done. Yeah, well, we would have a difference of opinion there because I believe that if a biological male wants to compete in a co-ed league, the women and the girls that are competing in that league know that they're competing against males. So I have no problem with that. It's transparent. What isn't transparent is when you have a girls' league or team Mm -hmm. and you have biological males now competing in an all-girls or all-women's league. Yeah, but they know that he's a boy. The girls know. I mean, look, Bruce, there's an issue. If a girl and a boy go up, and I know women get upset, but get over it. It's ridiculous. The guys are just stronger. They can hurt these girls. And by the way, we've seen... Now, the last couple of days, we've seen stories of violence. There was some kid in Philadelphia, I think, I forget the city. He started going nuts. She did whatever the hell it is, and uh, started beating up girls on the court. So when you have the guy on the court with the girls, it was in Massachusetts, you run that risk. They don't belong on the same court, even in co-ed. Let trans compete against trans. You know, Sid, you have a 19-year-old daughter who competes in sports. Haven't we been fighting for decades for fairness in women's sports? Yes. And now those very same people that were fighting for fairness in women's sports 
some of them are now saying, well, it doesn't have to be fair anymore. And that's where I have a problem. It's common sense. It's science. Men and boys are bigger, stronger, and faster. That's just a fact. So let girls compete against girls. And let boys compete against boys. You want transgender versus transgender. I'm okay. I'm okay with transgenders competing in co-ed leagues. And you know what? We can have these conversations in a calm and civil way. But it's like the left-wing left-wing woke socialists, their hair's on fire. And it shouldn't be. They should be against this bullying of women and girls. You understand these are the same people that march with pro-Palestinians. And maybe they don't know, maybe they do, that if you're gay or trans and you try to get an apartment in Gaza, they're going to throw you off the roof. These are the same people. There is no reasoning with crazy. And let me just say this. You made a great point yesterday. I'm sick of talking about them. What percentage, what percentage of our population makes up the trans community? Well, in Nassau County, we haven't got a study, but if you look across the United States, it's between a half a percent and one and a half percent. But that doesn't take into account a lot of young people who are just confused and not sure who they yeah. are. Okay. And so let's okay so then too. so then let's do and this. By the way, wait, wait, wait. So so let's 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 move let's move it to two percent then because they're confused and not sure. So I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, not you, but the numbers. Let's make it two percent, Bruce. Bruce, we spend way too much time worrying about and talking about two percent of the population. We're starting to make laws for two percent of the population, not twenty, not forty, not sixty. Two percent. That's nuts. Well, these are people who want to divide our country. There are people that want to change all of our values. And they come up with these positions that lack common sense, that aren't fair. And they impose it upon us in a bullying way. And if we disagree, all of a sudden we're transphobic. That's nonsense. I am accepting of transgender people in Nassau County. Come here, live here, have a beautiful life here. Compete, but don't do so in a deceptive manner that bullies a biological male's way onto a girl's team. That's not fair. It's not acceptable, and we're not going to stand for it. That's very fair. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman. But that's how it works. You know, I'm a white guy. If I'm critical, I'll give you an example. If I'm critical of Attorney General Letitia James, because what she's doing to Donald Trump, uh, she should be in prison. Or even that other fat, stupid Alvin Bragg. They're both black. They are black, yes. They're also inept. They're racist. They're biased. They're agenda-driven. So if I say that, I run the risk of a black person or a white person calling me a racist. But you know what, Bruce Blakeman, at this point in my life, almost 57, I don't care. I don't care. Well, it used to be that if you were called a racist, it was a very serious allegation. 
and it usually involved activity that was reprehensible and unacceptable. Fair criticism is not racist, whether it's against a black person or a white person or any person. And right now in America, we are so consumed with identity politics that we don't realize that we can have civil conversations and disagreements without name calling. And, you know, I refuse to get involved in the name calling business. That's something that the other side is doing. And I don't want any part of it. If you have an argument that you want to make, let's have that debate. Right. And right now, the other side, they can't come up with an argument that makes any kind of common sense or fairness against the simple notion that girls who want to play against girls and women who want to play against women should have that right. And by the way, if they challenge me, and they also have to challenge the WNBA, the Women's U.S. Open, the LPGA, college women's sports, they have to go all the way. So be careful because what you may be doing is destroying women's sports in America, something that for decades women have been fighting for fairness. They finally got it, and now there are people who want to destroy that. It's wrong. It's bullying. And I am going to do everything I can to protect our girls and our women and their right to compete fairly in sports. One of our great leaders, and I mean that sincerely, Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman, who is, again, one of the best people, one of the best politicians we've got anywhere in this country. You know, Bruce, I do want to touch on uh, two quick political things out there on Long Island with you. We'll let you run. We're not that far removed from Tom Swazi beating Mozzie Pillip. I know that uh, you and Cairo and King and all my dear friends, I love all of you, tried your best to get the win. Uh, I never thought she was going to win. Peter can tell you that, and she didn't, not because I'm Nostradamus. There were just too many things that were in the way, and I do believe in the end it hurt her. What do you feel about this upcoming race now in November to get that seat on a permanent basis? Well, first of all, the Democrats should stop crowing about Tom Swazi's victory. He ran as a Republican. He said that he wanted to make his party uh, more centrist and less of a left-wing, socialist, dogmatic party. So, you know, if you didn't know any better and you weren't really well-versed, Tom Swazi, who spent a ton more money than Mozzie Pillip, spent it on advertisements that made him look like a Republican. So, if anything, this should be a wake-up call for the Democratic Party that they've gone too far to the left. And uh, so uh, I don't see this as a major victory uh, for the National Democratic Party. I think all it shows is that people want the Democratic Party to come closer to the center and not be out on the far left with all the lunatics. One more race that's coming up here. This is um, the Senate race. And this is the primary first, and then a chance to beat Kirsten Gillenbrand. So full transparency, I'm friends with Johnny Tobacco and Kara Kashanova. I like them both very much. But I'm also friends with King and you guys. And 
It seems to be a pretty good battle here. I mean, the people that don't like Mike Sapricone really don't like him. I'm getting texts every day, Bruce. Oh, this guy donated to Cuomo and Grasso and Kaminsky. He's giving more money to Democrats than, than Democrats give. And then, of course, uh, the Pocara people are telling me, look at her. You know, she's she's all for the Second Amendment. She she got 42 percent of the vote in a, in a blue district. And it's getting pretty nasty, honestly, in this primary to go against Gillibrand coming up next fall. Do you have any thoughts on this upcoming race? I have some very strong thoughts about it. And I like Mike Sapricone very much. I like Cara Castronova very much. And there are others that uh, could be very good and qualified candidates. But what I would say to both of them is compete in the convention and then whatever the convention does, whatever the convention decides, adhere to the convention, do not primary. This is a blue state. If you use your resources in a primary, you will have no shot at taking the race. So let's have a strong convention. Let both uh, parties, or, or there's probably more than two, uh, you got Eisen too. People like Eisen yeah. too. Yeah. You got Eisen as well, uh, who's a good candidate. Let the three of them come before the convention, and whatever the convention decides, all three of them should agree not to primary, because a primary, when you are such a minority in this state as a Republican, will do nothing but benefit the Democratic Party and Senator Gillibrand. So they should get in a room and decide not to primary, and the three of them should go before the convention and state their case, and whoever is the designee of the convention, that's who we should circle the wagons around and support. Would you consider then one of them who doesn't win this one maybe going up against Swazi come November? Well, that would be up to Chairman Cairo and the Nassau County Republican Committee, and... uh I certainly think, uh, again, that in the case of Mike and Kara, I believe they both live in uh, in the 3rd Congressional District. Uh, I think they're both potentially really good candidates and could win that 3rd Congressional seat race. So, But that's a decision that the Nassau County Republican Committee will have to make. And Sherman Cairo is a great leader. And uh, I believe that uh, they will come up with the right candidate for the 3rd Congressional District, and uh, we will rally around that person, and uh, hopefully we'll be, we'll be successful. When are you announcing you're running for president, 28 or 32? <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I love my job as county executive, and uh, it's the best job in the world, so I'm very happy where I am. Hey, you're doing a terrific job. You really are. I love your battle here. And what you're saying is fair. Let women compete against women. Let girls compete against girls. There's nothing There's nothing biased about that. There's, it's just fair. And uh, you seem to be a very, very fair man, Bruce Blakeman. I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much. Great job yesterday. We'll talk again very soon. Thank you, Sid, and keep up the fight. You're a, you're a great leader. Uh-huh. Thank you, my man. Now, look who's talking. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman here on Sid and Friends in the Morning. We'll take a short break. A lot more to do. Gavin Wax, the president of the New York Young Republicans Club, Joseph Takapina, and New York Met Hall of Famer Mike Piazza. Still to come. Keep it right here. When Mistake. I 
This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Yeah, I don't know. We got CNN on in the background, and I was making fun of Frank Morano earlier because he was playing cuts from William Shatner, who I maintain is the worst actor ever. There was no dumber character than Captain Kirk. It was so stupid. It was not. It was legendary and pioneering. Oh, it was legendary and pioneering, but awful. 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 <laughs> you got morons like Eddie Scazzeri wearing Spock ears at 55 years old. I mean, the acting was so bad. Okay, you can say that. So bad. But all of these, the franchise has set up so many, the movies yeah. and all of the you, other you, 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 you want me to give you the ratings for the Kardashians? They get great ratings, too. Huh. What does that have to do with that? that no, I don't nothing... care about how many movies they make, how it... good the ratings are. People are morons. Okay. Well, Star we... Trek was a terrible show. All right. well, terrible. All right. It's it, terrible. It's, it's Bill Shatner can't act for his life. It's campy, and the shows were written well. They had. Why? Well, good... Gene Roddenberry was a talented guy. Great. Oh, okay. okay. Well, but the shows were terrible. Get... The acting was terrible. The shows were stupid. And the only movie that was good was the one with um, the guy from Fantasy Island. Ricardo, I think he was in two of them. Ranta Khan or something, I don't know. Ricardo Montalban, yes. So, and then Sky comes on, and, and um, well, John likes Sky, so I can't say bad things about him, but but I guess it's a big deal that we, we landed on the moon for the first time yesterday in 50 years, and I guess I'd be excited about that if uh, migrants weren't killing cops in Times Square. Okay. <laughs> the hell do I care about the moon? Like, are we moving to the moon anytime soon? I mean, no. seriously. No, they kind of think we're Is it safer on the moon? I don't know. Can I buy the NFL package if I live on the moon? There's no sunlight. God, yeah, no, no, who so cares? Like, darkness. God, is it a waste of time? There's no gravity there. Either, yeah, so that's you'll true. Be, you'll be floating about when you that. Yeah. pay-per-view. That's yeah. stupid. And then I got bad news for uh, Bruce Blakeman. <laughs> no cell service. I love Bruce Blakeman. That's probably that's, that's probably a good thing, by yeah. the way. Yeah. I hate my phone. Uh, Bruce Blakeman, I got bad news for you. And I love Bruce. I just told him he should run for president. But he was talking about the upcoming New York convention. And the problem was it was yesterday, so. It's not upcoming. Right, it's right, over. Right. <laughs> yeah. And um, Oops. for what it's worth, not to piss off Johnny Tobacco, Mike Sapraconi, like him or not, killed everybody. Killed Eisen and killed my friend Kara. So those are the facts. We can jerk each other off and make up all these, uh, well, eight counties, nine counties. Uh, he killed everybody, Sapraconi. So we'll talk to Gavin Wax coming up later. Man, can't do that on the moon. No, well, you see, of course you can. Oh, you That's can? True. Jerk yeah. off everybody on the moon? Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you said? I mean, we'll be well, floating up in the air. Who's up there? Yeah, How many yeah. people are actually on the moon? Forgot about that part of the story. <laughs> oh, there, do we know if there's aliens on the moon? <laughs> there's nothing up there. How do you know that? Because they, <laughs> they, they've rounded the whole thing. Well, maybe they didn't there. travel to the whole moon yet. Maybe there's right. parts I haven't seen yet. Right. The moon's big. It's a planet. Yeah. Yes. Sun chart, yeah. No, actually, it's not a planet. No, it's just but the, a, aren't, uh, there, aren't there people in uh, this country that really believe there's a place <laughs> out in like Nevada <laughs> where a, aliens live or something? Yeah, not sure. Vegas. I mean, like a, like a uh, like a, a base. Like, they're they're amongst us, bro. They're amongst us. Yeah, well, I think they're down in the subway system, but that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> and one story that uh, depressed me last night. So I was saying yesterday that uh, my biggest issue, and I start thinking about it now, before nine o'clock in the morning. Is where to take my son Gabriel for dinner. My wife, my beautiful wife Danielle, my daughter Ava, they're in Europe. So it's me and Gabe. It's the boys, you know. And uh, he eats the same thing every day and I'm trying to put weight on the kid, you know. So we go to the same three restaurants. That's it. 
So even my buddy Nunzi sent me a text last night. Let me guess, you're at La Sorrentina. You're right, I was. <laughs> so we go there for dinner. Joe's great. John's great. And I'm watching David Muir, and he's telling the story about uh, Wendy Williams. And Wendy Williams has been diagnosed with dementia. And uh, good morning, Selfie. With dementia and uh, what is it called, Noam? Asphasia. 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 That's what Bruce Willis has. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. She's a mess. Um, but one of the real great moments in my career, and I've had amazing moments, I mean amazing, was going on her show. And I went on her show right before she went off the cliff. Right before. In fact, I was on in June. She had one more week of shows, took off for the summer, and has never returned. I was one of her very last guests. And her and I had a great relationship for about a year. We talked all the time. Texted the whole thing, you know. She had a crush on me, let's be honest. So... She's a liberal, a big liberal. She didn't agree with anything I talked about on the air. Anything, yet she never missed the show. Never. Wendy Williams. So she introduced me on the one time I was on the show back in, I don't know, this is about three years ago. And she talked about just that, how she listens every day. Wendy Williams, Lewis, cut number one. Joining us is the host, and I happen to listen to this show every morning. And to the point of disgust. So, so because I don't agree with everything he says, but there's something charmingly insecure, really smart, and very lovable about Sidney Rosenberg. WABC Radio. I like that. She's right. I am insecure. I am smart. And I am lovable. So I was on something called Hot Topics. It's me and a bunch of ladies sitting around talking about the big entertainment stories of the week, you know, like E.T. does. or And I can do that stuff, too, you know. So I'm sitting there, and at one point during this segment, Wendy flat out hits on me. This is on TV. Four million people watch that show. That was That was a very big deal, that show. Wendy Williams, cut number two. Every time you talk, though, it's like, because I'm so used to hearing you, you realize that your voice and your delivery is hypnotizing. Is it really? Oh, yeah. oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. Know that. Oh, yes. Oh, Wendy. Radio VO is so yeah. great. Thank you. It's so good. So Wendy's got a ring on. I'm not flirting with him. I'm oh. just telling him that I'm a fan. Okay. And I literally <laughs> called the show and said, look, there's this guy. And I've, I'm tired of just listening. I need to meet him. He needs to be part of Hot Talk panel. Let's mix it up. God, I miss her. I really do miss her. And then I was reminded by Noam. I forgot about it. That before I made my appearance on her TV show, Wendy, I met her. She came at the studio one day when my late great partner Bernard was still alive. God, I miss him. And uh, at the old Madison Square Garden location. And Noam reminded me, this is a good year and a half before I'm on her TV show. And Noam reminded me how that morning went. How did that morning go? She would not leave you alone. Like she had your hand, her hands on your chest, your arms. She was hugging you. And she was not doing that to anybody else. It was just you. It was pretty great, actually. <laughs> I remember she left that day, and I go, I go Bernie, did, did, what's what's going on here? What, what's happening? <laughs> He's like, I remember Bernie's exact response. It was always, He was so funny. He would go, she's only human. That was his exact response. <laughs> she's only human. How can you blame her? <laughs> and uh, it's true. She was all over me that morning, and then we became friendly, and I'm on her show, and... Now my prayers go out to Wendy. Really, she's a sweet girl. She's been through a lot, man. Her husband, Kevin's an asshole, complete asshole. And she's had some other issues with 
drugs and liquor like I have. And I really want to send my best to my friend Wendy Williams. I'm praying for you. Oi. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. defense attorney in the world, my friend of 47 years, Joseph Takapina, and the best offensive player for the Mets in their history, Hall of Fame catcher Mike Piazza. They go back to back, a belly to belly, as uh, my friend, uh, the Yankee announcer would say, John Sterling. And I think uh, I think both of these guys owned or own soccer teams in Italy. I don't think Piazza still does. Pac, what's the deal with that? Does uh, you both still own soccer teams, or is, is Piazza out of it? No, Mike. Mike uh, got his sanity back, and he left. He left <laughs> yeah. soccer. Yeah. Uh, Mike and I speak. We, we speak quite frequently about it, and he calls me and you know does a sanity check with me and makes sure I'm okay. And, <laughs> but, no, he he went through a rough experience. I know his team wasn't very good. Soccer, yeah. Yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. I yeah. mean, it's just not for the faint of heart, and you really have to be well, well, well you know, sort of connected there to yeah. get anything done. And it's a, it's, a, it's a strange world. Let's put it that way. So well, what is your team, what is your team doing them? these days? Are they any good? No, no, this has been the worst. Look, I, you know, I went through, this is my 15th year. Um, I'm the first president in the history of Italian soccer to ever win three promotions in a row, three championships in a row ever in the history of Italian soccer. Wow. And then that, you know, I never fell off the cliff hard two years ago. We've been struggling, uh, you know, a series of coaches, series of changes. And it's just, it's, it's, it's been a, a rough road. I think that the ship has been, been, you know, sort of turned around and I think we're headed in the right direction, but it's tough. So, so when you got uh, knighted, because people may not know this, but it's really impressive. I'm not even joking. You are Sir Joseph Takapina in Italy. Was that because of your success as a lawyer or your football success? No, 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 no. It had, I don't even think they know I'm a lawyer there. It's, it had all to do with Italian football. It was, you know, because I had that accomplishment of winning those three championships in a row, which, again, was the first time it was ever done in that history of Italian football um, as a president, back-to-back-to-back promotions. Um, uh, it, it, that's why they knighted me. I mean, which goes to show you how non-meritorious my knighthood is. I mean, I, I have to be, I have to be the least deserving knight in history of knights. I mean, come on. I mean, Jesus. Oh, God. So, oh, you know, I mean, it's unbelievable. Knights are normally reserved for people like the Beatles, yeah. people who cure cancer, sure. you know, uh, Pulitzer Prize winners, not idiots who run Italian football teams. <laughs> Okay. I'm a knight, so call me sir when you will. Yeah. I call you sir. So, so give me this in, in like 60 seconds or less. Uh, you grew up and you went to poly prep with me, me, you, Danny Pagliano, Gary Hanna, all these guys, and you followed the four major sports, and you were an yep. exceptional hockey player. You used to go to Abe Stark in Coney Island. You went That's to right. Skidmore yep. on this hockey scholarship. To this day, you still own the record for penalty minutes for one season. And So, so when did soccer all of a sudden come, come into your life? 
You know, when I started doing work in Italy uh, with Ferrari as a lawyer, you know, when I was going back and forth there and, you know, my my dad was a big Italian soccer fan and my family obviously being from Italy, you know, and I got to go to a game there in Rome. And that was my first team, AS Rome. I was the vice president there for four years and one of the owners. And when we, we when I went to that game against Lazio, which is like the Yankees Red Sox, it was a passion that I've never experienced before in any North American sport. It was like you could feel the, the foundation of the stadium wow. moving yeah. because people were, 60,000 people were chanting in music for two hours. And it was something that was awe-inspiring. And I said, oh, I'd love to get involved in this. Of course, I had enough money to buy the balls at that point. But, <laughs> but I got an investor group together, and we made a purchase. We bought AS Roma. The first, I was the first American to ever own an Italian football team. So it was a, it was a pretty nice you know, it's awesome. yeah, it's, I, you yeah. know, I think I just run its course at this point and I need to, to, to maybe exit and, and I'm so busy here that it's yeah. hard to, to be in two worlds. Hey, listen, you, 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 you won three championships. They've written, I've seen a million stories on you. A lot of those stories are actually on the wall in your beautiful law office here on Madison Avenue in New York City. So maybe you, you get out of that and uh, you buy a piece of the match. Oh, yeah, that's a dream come true. Except with the Mets, I mean, you know, what's the valuation there? How many billions of dollars? I don't know. Uh, the, and, you know uh, for all the billions of dollars. The world, he just has to spend the money now. Yeah, Steve so. Cohen, exactly. I mean, we're going into the season. We look, I'm going to talk to Mike Piazza, your friend, coming up momentarily. But I don't know one Met fan that's excited about this season. Not one. It's scary. And already we're in what day two and our, our ace is already out for the year. It's so mess. It's so mess. It's like, and there goes the season. <laughs> well, let's do this. I want to take a quick break. When we get back, I want to discuss Donald Trump, some legal stuff as well. So we'll take a very quick break. We'll come back with the best defense attorney in the world and a soccer champ from the great country of Italy. My dear friend of 47 years, a great job. Of tack of peanut, more of tax right after this. In the morning, 77 WABC. Here's the thing. So you're going to appeal this, and um, I believe you're going to win. But but before all that, if I'm correct, again, if I'm wrong, just correct me. Uh, You still have to post that money in the next 30 days. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so you post the money, you start the appeal process. And again, I'm asking for expertise. How long could that take? In an effort to get this back. Years. Years. Yeah. It depends. You know, it depends. The appellate division, the courts are backed up in general. Um, of course, we're going to try and expedite everything. But, uh, you know, the appeals process is not a quick one. Uh, motions on appeal, appeals of trial records are, you know, 11 weeks of trial and going in and drafting that and then opposition from the other side and then a reply from our side. It's uh, it's. You know, it could absolutely take a year or two years. I mean, it depends on the speed of the appellate division, but it, it, it's definitely a long haul. So he's going to post over 400, assuming he does. He's going to post over $400 million and then have to wait maybe a year, two years, three years to win the appeal to get that money back? Mm-hmm. Aye, aye, aye.
That's uh, Trump attorney Alina Haba on this show a couple days ago. And um, Takapina knows Alina. They both work for the president. She still does. Takapina used to. Here he is, uh, the great defense attorney, the best in the world. And I mean that sincerely. Uh, Joseph Takapina. Jojo, um, there's Alina Haba. And uh, I had a guy on this morning, early 645. His name is Steve Cohen. Not the owner of the Mets. This Steve Cohen was the deputy to Andrew Cuomo when Andrew Cuomo was the attorney general before he was governor. He was then secretary to Andrew Cuomo. He's a former assistant, a U.S. attorney in the Southern District. And he said, no, she's not going to win the appeal. The law's in place. She's not going to win. Then I had Judge Napolitano on in studio about an hour ago. He said, I hate to disagree with Steve Cohen, but I think she will win. She's got a good case. Now I ask the best of all, you. How's her case in this appeal? His case is um, good for the appeal, and I'll tell you why. That the number, first and foremost, the number is never going to stand up, and 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 it's not because I'm partisan one way or another. I'm looking at it as a straight legal analyst. There's no way to come up with a number of three hundred fifty-five million dollars as, as damage coupled with the interest, which takes us well into the four hundred thousand, four hundred million dollar range. That's not going to stand up in court. I, I, could, oh, I would guarantee you that's it. Well, give me this um, then, because I agree with you. But how significant of a drop could we see? Could it go from four hundred thirty million to fifty million? To one hundred million. Yeah, that's will be my my my, okay. my guess. If it stands up, look, there's real arguments that it shouldn't even stand up because. Uh, you know, the, the way this trial was conducted, where there wasn't really a fact-finding process on fraud. The judge made a ruling based on the papers. I know, but I found this out today, too, and this is, again, based on Cohen's article in today's Wall Street Journal. And I'm a dummy. You're not. You're actually brilliant, the best at it. But according to his story today in the journal, Steve Cohen, executive law 6312 says that Letitia James can do what she did. You ask, oh, no, no, no. She can do what she did. The judge can do what he did, but an appellate court still has to look at it and say, was it fundamentally fair? Was it right? That's what appellate courts are for. It's not like anything that was done here was illegal. It's just never been done. Tell me the last time anyone has ever been sued by the New York State Attorney General for a private transaction between you and I, for example, right? We own two companies. We do a private transaction. We're not funded by the state. We we, we, we didn't circumvent any laws. We, we basically made a deal where... I presented you my numbers with a disclaimer saying, these are my numbers. You do your own due diligence. Bank says, okay, I'll do my due diligence. We did our due diligence. We're going to give you the money. And the banks made a $200 million. You know, No one complained. But yet a third party intervened and said, you guys are committing, you know, you're committing fraud on, on the banks. Right. And the bank's like, well, we made $200 million. We did our own due diligence. We were good to go on these numbers. You know, understand this. There's only one property that transacted of those properties that were, you know, used in the lawsuit by, by James. And it's one property, uh, Doral in Florida, that actually sold for almost $100 million more than the valuation put in by the Trump organization. Hmm. So it's really tough to say that that was a fraud right. that he overrepresented. But, you know, look. Technically, legally, this all can be done, which is why there's a real chance this might stand. But I don't think the punishment is going to stand. I, I got you. So, so if, but if, if you were the attorney in this appeal, and again, I'm asking for your expertise, or the big expertise, um, could you say, hey, listen, well, let's, let's cut right to the chase, okay? Letitia James ran to be attorney general with the promise and this is true. You can play audio with the promise that she was going to find a way to get Donald Trump. 
Does that work in the appellate court? You know, you, you want to frame the argument with that line. That's the one line. But after you drop that line, it's an important line because, you know, it's really when you think about that, let that, you know, people seem to have trouble understanding that. I read the media and I'm like, no one's really troubled by that. She, when she made that pronouncement, she was a private citizen without access to any government documents, without access to his documents. She didn't have subpoena power. She was a person running for an office. So how would she know she was going to get Trump? How did she know that? She didn't have evidence. She didn't have his documents. So that goes to tell you that there was a, 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 a bad motive on her end and that she was going to do this for political reasons. But here's the thing. Appellate courts, this is not, you know, a campaign trail. OK, the appellate courts are going to look at the facts and the law, and they really are. And, and so this is not about, oh, she's politically motivated. This judge is a hack. That's not going to work in appellate court. Gotcha. You can't do the same argument you do outside the courthouse steps that, that, that right. President Trump does when he goes outside. That, they'll, they'll smash it. They, will. they have to focus on the facts. Look, you know, it, it, and the facts are pretty clear. But, but the problem is, you know, ignorance can be educated. Um, crazy can be medicated, but there's just no cure for stupid. And, <laughs> yeah. and when you look at this case, that's what, you, you know, it's really scary. It's a scary case. I like uh, that last statement. That was great. So uh, on the way out, Joe, we, we talked earlier, me and the judge did, about his options, Trump, because no matter what happens with the appeal in the yeah. next 30 days before she starts to try to take 40 Wall Street, this crazy biatch, he's got to put up the money. And it's like a half a billion dollars. So Alina keeps saying he's got plenty of cash. He's great. Blah, blah, blah. I hope she's right. Or there's the other uh, uh, chance here, opportunity here for Trump to post a bond. Do you have any uh, opinion on that? What, what you would do or what you would recommend if you were his attorney? I mean, if you could get someone to post a bond, you get someone to post a bond because that means you don't have to come out of pocket for hundred plus million dollars. I mean, you, he needs cash. That's like not not like an IOU. It's depositing, wiring cash into a court of account, and and so that's going to be. I don't care who you are. That's not easy. Okay, right. um, you know. But then again, posting a bond is not easy either. First of all, a bond company is going to charge millions of dollars fees for this. One, two, a bond company has to be fully collateralized because what the bond company is saying is that if he doesn't pay it, I will. Okay. Oh my God. So this is not this is not a situation where a bond company just writes a piece of paper. If if he if Trump can't come up with that money when the bell rings, yeah. they're on the hook. That's coming out of the bond company. So before a bond company writes something in the of the magnitude of half a billion dollars almost in bond, they're gonna make sure that they have their hooks deep. And I think that's why the Trump organization was asked for 30 days, you know, to extend this, 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 this judgment, the execution of the judgment for 30 days. Um, but that obviously was denied by, by mm. Judge Engron, and that's no surprise there, right? You can't sit there yeah. and bash this guy every single day to call him uh, corrupt, call him incompetent, call him biased, call him a hack. Well, he started. The, ju the judge started that. The judge no, started that. No, 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 no question. No yeah. question. I'm not, I'm not, no, no. I'm not saying he's not either. Right. I'm just saying you can't say that. No, of course. Says, Do yeah. us a favor. Do yeah. us a favor. Give us an extra 30 days. You yeah, know, when, when, when you and I were kids, forget about bond, forget about putting up the cash. You and I could have gone to Bay Ridge or Bensonhurst, and I can promise you there was a guy on the corner who had 400 million cash. I can promise you. <laughs> exactly. That's what he's got to do. He's got to get into, into the hood, go back to our neighborhood, right. find some guy, Vinny Bag of Donuts, right. and just make a – you know, That's it. Vinny will charge, him, the, the video charge him five points or something like that, and he'd be good to go, right? It'll be, it'll be $200 million a day in, in fees, and it's a big – it's a little big. Well, but you laugh about $200 million a day. I mean, he's actually – Joseph, 
87000 a day in interest? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It's no joke, right? So, I mean, this has to get resolved quickly. Yeah. And if they have the money, it, you know, that's, again, it's a lot of cash for anybody. If they have that cash, they should put it up, get that appeal filed immediately, immediately. They have 30 days once the judgment's executed to get that appeal in. Uh, I would do it tomorrow. I mean, because no. you have to stop this, this train in its tracks. But yeah. before, we, before we depart, listen, this city right now is in, is in bad shape. And I've heard you, and I listen to your show every day, and you talk about the migrants and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, every, but, but let's talk about perhaps the most important thing that's happening in New York City right now. Oh, let me guess. Let me guess. They've won yeah, nine straight. Nine straight. <laughs> Just won nine straight. Igor Sisterkin has reclaimed his, his mantle yeah. as the greatest goalie yeah. in the world. Playing in well. the world. Playing well. And this team is different. If you look at this team, it's a different team. And now they got that kid, that 21 year old monster, yep. Rempe, yep. who Rem, Rempe, who destroyed like Mark in, in that game. Yep. Who who got kicked out of last night's game after two minutes because he ran over the Devils enforcer. I mean, just <laughs> annihilated this guy. So this is what we needed. And this team is a really, you know, it's a, it's a team. And, and that's what makes them different. There's a lot of skilled teams. This is a team. Peter Laviolette's a great coach. And I'm just, I really think what you said a few weeks ago, we're going to have a parade down Broadway this year. Really I think so, too. No, I do. And I look forward to uh, this Wednesday night, Ranger fans, your three favorite Ranger fans, Joseph Tacopina, Pete Morgan, and Sid Rosenberg, will all be in the building together come Wednesday night. How about that? Big night. Big night. Big night, baby. Big night. Big night. Joseph, I love you. Great job as always, bro. Thank you so much. You got me all fired up. I love you. Thank you. All right. My man, Joe Tacopina. And he's right. The Rangers. Marv Albert, you remember it well, don't you? And the Rangers have won the Stanley Cup. Something. Yeah, well, it's going to happen again. That's great. (laughs) Now he's the greatest goalie in the world again. Well, I still like Jonathan Quick, but he has been playing very well against Shesterkin, very well. Well, here's one of your biggest Ranger fans right there, Joe Tacopino. Oh, he loves Igor, though. He hasn't stopped with Igor. Okay, good. Yeah. That's all I heard heard for the last two months. I know. Oh, what's going on? Shesterkin's No, he didn't say, no, no, he's been an Igor guy. I'm not talking about him. Yeah. I'm talking about everybody. Every time I walk in, every morning, whoa, Justin, what's going on with Shesterkin? Lewis, Lewis, don't worry about the Rangers. Um, You're an Islander fan. You guys suck. You guys have sucked for years. Don't worry about my goalie, my goalies. You're an Islander fan. You guys haven't even been relevant since, like, Ron Hextall. Right, and neither of you. Oh! Wow. And informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Lopez wants it away. And it's hit deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run. Mike Piazza. And the Mets lead 3-2. Take a look at this. He's got as much power as anybody. He got the arms extended. A long home run. 
Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty Sound of their breath fades with the light I think about the loveless fascination Under the Milky Way tonight Lower the curtain down Down on right. I got no time for private consultation under the Milky Way tonight. Wish I knew what you were looking for. Might have known what you would find. The Church Under the Milky Way after that iconic call. I think that was Howie Rose and uh, the great Fran Healy. <laughs> Mike Piazza's home run off the Atlanta Braves right after 9-11. Pats is going to join us momentarily. You know, I I, um, I don't remember exactly. I, the year 2000, I came back to New York, and I hosted the morning show at 102.7 WNEW-FM with Scott Kaplan who was my dear friend to this day, but he got fired. And eventually I did that show with Craig Carton before I got fired and ended up the year after that at WFAN with Imus. So I got here just in time that April for the Met-Yankee World Series. It was nuts. But that station became all talk. Remember, it was rock and roll. It was great. It was, you know, Carol Miller and uh, what was his name? Scott Muni and... All those folks. Pat St. John, I think, was... Yeah, the near guys. And they made it all talk. And when I got there, they were killing it. Opie and Anthony, they were beating Stern. You had Ron and Fez, Don and Mike, Radio Chick, Leslie Gold. They were killing it. So we got traded, Scott and I, from Sportsline down in Florida in exchange for fantasy sports advertising. True story. But I remember they, they kept the overnights music. That was it. Only the overnights were music. And they had a guy named Eddie Trunk. And Eddie and I are still good friends to this day. He had a really good show on VH1 with Jimmy Florentine and I think one of the guys from Black Sabbath or ACDC, I forget. And Trunk and Piazza, they've been best friends for years because Piazza loves heavy metal. I think he liked that band Cinderella. I'm not even sure. I don't know. So Piazza would be at 3 o'clock in the morning after a Met game sitting there playing rock and roll records with Eddie Trunk. And I saw him that one time, and he was great. I was like, oh, my God, that's... And Eddie and uh, Mike, I think, are still great friends to this day. But he's one of the nicest guys, and that was just a glorious moment. We needed that so badly. You know, for folks who don't like sports, I don't care. (laughs) It's not going to stop me from talking sports, because I know what gets ratings, and nobody's better at it than me. Nobody. 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 And we love sports in this town, bottom line. We love Trump. We love sports. Great. And after 9-11, we needed something to return a semblance of normalcy, and Mike did that. So did the Yankees, to their credit. I mean, 
they weren't nearly as cooperative because they were busy playing Joe Torre and the Yankees. The Mets, they weren't. So, you know, Bobby Valentine and Shea Stadium, that served as a triage, and they were terrific. But the Yankees went to the World Series. They lost that heartbreaker to the Diamondbacks. The one bad throw for Mariano Rivera he had in his whole Hall of Fame career. You know, Tony Womack with the big base hit. Wow, you got you remember every, all the details. Well, maybe it was Luis Gonzalez who yeah. singled home to well, Womack. It was, it was, it was Gonzalez, Gonzalez who, yeah. who's, who and Womack the scored the right. game-winning one. Yeah, I remember it all. Right. I was actually at the Giant Cowboy game. Kerry Collins had a terrible game, and uh, Soriano hit a home run, gave the Yankees a one nothing lead, and well, the rest is history. So anyway, we're going to talk some baseball, some Mets with a real hero, a real New York. Hero. We use that word way too often, especially when it comes to athletes, because most athletes, quite frankly, are gangbanging scumbags. They are. Overpaid jerk-offs. Not Mike Piazza. And he's coming up next. Wish I knew Is Sid and friends in the morning. 77 WABC. I uh, just can't get excited about the Mets. Am I missing something? No, you're not. I totally agree. And the way they handled Buck last year, Stearns, was a disgrace. Uh, Buck deserved to come back. They, had, they handled that terribly. Who knows? I'm Mendoza. It's a flip of a coin if he's going to be any good. I don't care what the Yankees say. Um, you know, while he's the greatest bench coach in the world, who the hell knows? In the in, in the in the cauldron of a huge uh, ball game in, in in July. Is he going to push the right buttons? Who not? You have no idea of knowing that. And the Mets are not that good. I mean, I, I think their pitching stinks. I mean, I listen, I think overall, you know, they're due to be a little better because everybody's going to write them off. There's no pressure on them. Bullseye's off their back. They had a terrible year last year. I think that will motivate them to a certain degree. And I think they will overachieve from a lineup perspective. And I think that you'll be surprised at times. I think they'd be feisty, but as far as being a good team, how? I think Mike Piazza knows that voice very, very well. Of course, that was, uh, what, two days ago on this show, my dear, dear friend and former co-worker, part of that legendary Mike and the Mad Dog combination, Christopher Mad Dog Russo. And he was very tough on the Mets. And then yesterday, Joe Beningo, another WFN legend that Mike Piazza knows very well, he was equally as tough on the Mets. So seems to be the consensus. But what the hell do we know? This guy actually did it. In fact, between 1998 and 2005, my next guest distinguished himself as one of the most popular and maybe the greatest New York Met of all time. And again, that home run against the Braves. I, I feel bad bringing it up because I don't want to reduce his career to one at bat, but I'm always going to be thankful. It meant a lot. He's a wonderful guy. 
And anybody who's a friend of Joe Tacopina is a friend of mine, the great Mike Piazza. Good morning, Michael. How are you, pal? Hey, good morning. Good to be with you. Nice to uh, nice to have you back. You know, it's funny. Uh, I played the Chris Russo piece. You know, you've heard of Mike and the Mad Dog, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course, I saw I saw Chris a few months ago. Actually, we had a, a really cool benefit for the Italian American Baseball Foundation, um, which is a group that had helped a lot with with the WBC, which we obviously finished fifth in the tournament, <clears throat> representing Italy, which was one of my coolest experiences in baseball. But um, yeah, so so I uh, we go a long way, <laughs> yeah. a long way. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm aware of what your Italian team did, and all those, and you spent a lot of time over the years with that baseball team. So congratulations! So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Cool. So I was going back and forth, Mike. Should I play dog or should I play the home run? And my guy said to me, "Listen, Mike's heard that home run a thousand times. I mean, come on." And, and like I said, I don't want to reduce this unbelievable career, yeah. maybe the greatest ever, to one at bat. But you know, because you were on with me nine eleven this year. That 22 years later, how much that meant to this city. This city's falling apart, Mike. You're in Florida. You made the greatest movie you ever could have made, trust me. Uh, <laughs> so so thank you on behalf of all New Yorkers for at least giving us for a little while some semblance of normalcy. <laughs> well, uh, listen, I, I believe I've always been positive in my life and my career, and I just think things could go in waves and, um, you know, the only good thing about going through tough times that eventually good times will have again. And I mean, you know, our friend, uh, Mayor Giuliani, I mean, he came out, brought the city out of a very dark spot. So, um, I mean, I believe in New York. I, I, I played here, obviously my, my heart is here and I know the people of New York and I just think it's sort of indicative of what the history of the city, there's always been tough times and eventually there will be a white night and someone to get us going again and turn this back turn the energy around and get New York back to where where it should be and that's the capital of the world. I mean, you still travel and I, I spend a lot of time in Europe now and I and people still love New York. People it's it's just um unfortunately tough times is is part of life yeah. and we got to get through it and um you know, not to get political, but I just think generally over the course of our country, we've always responded to adversity, and that's part of the American way. And it seems we're very divided now, and we are. I mean, there's a lot of very deep arguments and deeply held sentiments that people are very passionate about. And so looking at it now from 10,000 feet or being away from the U.S. a little bit, I mean, people still believe in us, and we need to believe in ourselves. And I, I think that's the most important thing. I think that's well said. I mean, you have to understand, Mike, when I – Hop back on I-95 North, okay? This is very similar to the interjection commercial when we were a kid, Schoolhouse Rock, when one guy jumped up and said, hey, I'm rooting for the other team. So I'm on I-95 North. I'm the only guy there. There's like 10,000 <laughs> cars going south. See you, sucker. But uh, I actually decided I wasn't, the courts didn't make me do it. The cops didn't yeah. make me do it. I wanted to come back to New York. And, and for the most part, it's been great. And for my career, it's been unbelievable because I've gone to this brand-new space of, of, um, of fame. But what I see every day is somewhat depressing. But like you said, I'm here to stick it out. I ain't leaving. I, I lived in Boca Raton for 16 years. I'm staying here. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, it really comes down to what, what like, you, you put it eloquently. I mean, what's best for you? I mean, I, I've always found that um, – and there's different needs in life because we all have responsibilities. And for me, obviously, having 
starting my family a little later in life, most guys have their kids younger. So I started a little later. And so it's all about my kids. I want to give them the opportunities and sure. the um, experiences that I never had. So I'm more multinational, you know, international, spending time in Italy and and Florida for me. I mean, I've been in Florida. I went to uh, Miami-Dade College back in 1987, 86. So it's like, mm. um, it's always been home for me. I mean, and so like, I mean, but I'll always love New York. I always love coming here. I mean, this is the great, I mean, I have so many deep, you know, close personal friends here and it's still great to come and, you know, have a stage and walk around of and just, just enjoy the city. So, yeah, I mean, look again, I, as I've said before, it really comes down to that. I, I believe in the people. I believe in the character. I believe in the heart of the city. And so we're going to get through it. So. There's your personal. Uh, no, I like what. Uh, no, but trust me, I like what you're saying, Mike. And uh, yeah. not only uh, did you go to Miami Dade College, but don't forget you had that incredible week with the Miami Marlins. <laughs> yeah, you know what's funny? I tell people. I mean, I, I think it was. I have. I think I don't know the numbers. Is there like ten days? But I mean, like nine RBIs, and I had a triple. <laughs> believe it or not, as a Marlins. So think about that lottery yeah. ticket. Yeah. I mean, if you would have bet that, I would have a triple with the Marlins. Kind of crazy. I remember that too. I remember that yeah. triple. I remember the whole thing. But you actually experienced before we get to the modern day Mets. Talking about highs and lows in yeah. one year, sure. two thousand. You're in the World Series now. We lost. In fact, I still thought I'll never forget. It was at the ESPN Sports Center, uh, Sports Center, ESPN Restaurant on Forty Second Street in Times Square. Mm. When you hit that ball, and uh, I thought it was God, and Bernie Williams caught the ball in center field, and it was all over. We were done. But still, just to get to the World Series and take on the Yankees—that's two thousand. One year later, we've got nine eleven. You experienced almost. You did lose, but almost the ultimate yeah. high and the ultimate low in one year. Yeah, and it's, that's true. And I think that's sort of indicative of this city. I mean, a lot of guys just couldn't play here. I mean, it was uh, it's just part of, it, as you are as a, as a player, what defines you and what you're able to sort of um, play to. And, and for me, it was like, I, I don't know, I just was given this God-given, I had this God-given ability to, focus and since i kind of came through the back door in in sports or in baseball and given that opportunity i just lived i played with reckless abandon i wanted to be on that stage i i had nothing to lose and i think we're seeing this now and a lot of guys the way they react or the way you sort of react to expectations and i i early in my career never had expectations so i put the highest expectations on myself so when I did, did become successful in rookie of the year and started. To, then I just figured, hey, I'm I'm just like uh, you know, the, <laughs> I'm like the ugly girl at the prom. You know, yeah. I'm just happy to be here. So right. I didn't really have a lot of. Um, uh, it, I just kind of really lived my life in a way that was reckless and, and in a way that I didn't. I had this certain amount of apathy as far as I don't care. I'm going to go out and do my best. I'm going to yeah. go out and leave it all on the field. And so I think most players would benefit from that attitude instead of worried about expectations and, and all the pressures that we put on ourselves and that others put on ourselves as well, put on us as well.
Well, you were never the uh, the ugly girl in the room because you've always been very handsome, my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> <Really? laughs> but I, <laughs> that's a metaphor. I, I, I'm going to get some tweets now. Like, what do you have against ugly people? Oh, you will. He's, you will. I, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Mike Piazza hates ugly people. Um, that's the country we live in today. It's crazy. I know, Mike, but it is crazy. Uh, uh, let's get to the the modern day Mets. You you heard the piece I played from Russo Beningo said yeah, the same yeah. thing yesterday, and it was all based on what I said, which is being honest. This is the least excited I've been for a Mets season in a long time. And I like Cohen. I've met Steve, nice guy, but he's got a lot of money. We didn't spend it this year. Maybe he's fighting until next year. But as a guy that is still in the organization, can you give Met fans any reason, honestly, Mikey, honestly, any reason to think we've got at least a, a chance at the playoffs? Well, I think because of the format has changed. I mean, you don't necessarily have to win 98 games to get into the playoffs uh, as when I first came into the game, you did. And I think that's a good thing in some ways. And in a ways, it's a bad thing because you kind of set your expect your bar too low. But um, I, I just think, look, it's hard to win. And the season is long. And I think for people to come out and have a defeatist mentality at this point, uh, to me, doesn't make sense. Um, is there issues? Of course. <laughs> that's why we get the big bucks, Mike. <laughs> well, no, and that's listen. That that's part of this machine. I get it. You know, it's not. I don't think anyone is going to crown them World Series champions in spring training, and co- consequently, even for teams that are spending the money, like the Dodgers. I mean, they still have to go out and do it. And as they've learned in the last three years, coming off of the the COVID when they won the World Series, I mean, it's not easy. Um, because again, uh, any team can beat another team on a given day. It's the, it's the sort of quest of the season and the difficulty of the season. I mean, if you look at the Mets last year, I think what June really will kill them. They had a horrible June. Yes. It was, it was, and that sort of just shot the season in the foot. Um, and I think going forward, you have to stay off that roller coaster. I mean, when you have bad months, it's part of the game, but you have to be able to recover from that. And you can't put yourself in a nosedive that's unrecoverable from, but listen, it it comes down to, I think this team would really have to be defined as the guys that aren't expected to, to do or contribute what the the big guys are. They're going to have to definitely contribute. I hate to use the word step up because I've heard that, uh, that, that line drives me crazy. But, but I think, collectively as a team. I mean, you look at the Braves when they, they won the World Series without their best player. Um, and people seem to forget that. And, and Acuna is an incredible player. I mean, he can do everything on the baseball field. But still, they were able to collectively put their heads together and say, hey, we, this guy's hurt. We got to find a way to compensate or overcompensate for, for not having him. And I think generally as a team, you have to – You the one thing I've always been blessed, or at least when we had the Mets teams I played on the, the, the two years – we kind of knew what we were capable of doing, and we kind of knew we had to prove it more to ourselves instead of proving the media. I mean, the media, look, the writers are going to write, uh, you know, the, the, the coaches coach, writers write, play, players play. I mean, Roy Campanella told me in one of my first spring trains, he said, Mikey, just play the game. Don't, don't worry about the expectations. And like you said, that that's what you guys get paid the big bucks for. I mean, that's the, the pundits and the critics, and, and that's fine. But as a player, you have to find a way to block that out and play. And I think, look, you have to have a balanced team. You have to have a team that doesn't really rely on one particular aspect to win. You have to have a good bullpen. You have to have starters that can – I mean, starters aren't expected to go deep into the game anymore. They're only expected 
to go around the lineup twice. I mean, I learned that in a classic. I mean, it was unorthodox for me because that's not the school I grew up on, but nonetheless, that's the game today. And and the manager, I think, is is going to have to collectively get together with the GM and the staff and really figure out a strategy to compete over the long haul. Because you can win the, you know, it's funny, um, we lost the first game of the, the opening day in, in 99, and one of the re- reporters asked me, Oh my God! You guys were expecting. We also lost opening day. What does this mean? I said, "Well, it means we're not going to win them all." Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think I, that year you went to the NLCS and lost yeah, to the Braves. Yeah, we had a great team. And yes. arguably it could have been a little bit better team than the 2000 team. Yeah. We lost Johnny Olaru. We picked up Ty right. Deal. Did a great job. Um, 2000, we had Timo Perez who who came out of nowhere, and unfortunately, we were there because of him. But then the first game, I think, where he thought Todd hit the home run and got thrown out by Deer at the. uh, So these things, I kind of I think, led to our defeat that year, not just a a collective um, one moment in time. But look, I mean, are we going to say it's going to be easy? No, I mean, and and I think as Mets fans traditionally, they always have a little bit of a. Oh, what's going to happen now, or what's going? You know, what 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 wrong can happen today? And that's just something that me, as a player, or at least now, still saying, look, uh, it's a long year. Um, yes, they have some issues they need to address. Um, and Steve, like you said, has a big checkbook. But I mean, just because you have the money, you can overpay for mediocrity. And and that's the one thing I think he needs to guard against, or at least what I'm seeing. And you have to build a culture. I mean, I talked to him last year, and he. We had a nice conversation. I said, look, you have to build a culture of winning. When you went to the Braves or the Yankees in the 90s, you knew you had to play and contribute. And that's the one thing I think you have to try to build in today. And today it's tough because the change, the turnover is very quick Mm -hmm. and the demand is high to be successful right away. True. And uh, the example what you just talked about, too, spending a lot of money and not winning uh, we're going on 25 years, uh, maybe no, less than that, I'm sorry, we're going on 15 years since the Yankees have won a World Series and they continue to spend exorbitantly. Now this year, of course, they bring in Soto, they got Judge, they got Stanton, they've got even this young kid Volpe, and they, they figure Rondon's going to have a big year. Garrett Cole's the best pitcher in baseball, so this is the last go around, I think, for Boone, maybe Cashman as well, but they're the opposite right now, and they've been that way for a long time and really haven't won the big one in almost 15 years, Mike, to your point. Yeah, and look at look at that roster up and down. They're stacked, like you said, picking up Soto and and having a bonafide Cy Young as your ace, uh, a Cy Young candidate as your ace every year. He's going to be able to go out and stop those those tough times. Um, but but as we've seen, it's not easy to win. And when the expectations are high and the and the budget is high, the the pressure is high. Yep. Uh, so as a team, you have to find your inner space in that clubhouse and be accountable to each other. I mean, I only my experience as a manager was the classic uh, last year, and yeah. I got to be honest with you, we we had something very very special. We we I felt could have gotten to Miami with one break. We we had we brought back Matt Harvey, who's actually an Italian citizen now. I think he's getting his passport. Is that least. right? So, yeah, his mom is named Vendite, and she, her family is from outside of Rome. So oh. we we did the research and. He's very excited of helping us and, and helping grow the game in, in Italy in the future. And we got some really cool stuff going on. But yeah, I mean, this is this is the point. I mean, we we you have to build a culture in that clubhouse. And it's easy for guys to go their own separate ways. And it's easy to say, look, he's the problem, he's the problem. But it, it's a cliche, I know. You have to look into the mirror and you have to be accountable to each other. And great teams 
are not born. They're made. And it comes from accountability. It comes from everyone being productive and leadership. And leadership is not being rah-rah with the pom-poms and saying, let's go get them, guys. Leadership is going out there every day and grinding and supporting and helping your teammates and calling them out when they need to be called out and telling them they did a great job when you, needed, when you did a great job. Because we all need a positive you know, pat on the back every now and then as well. I need it every day. <laughs> I have to tell you, Mike, you, um, I've known you for a long time, but you're just such an impressive guy, and you do have incredible leadership skills, whether it's an ambassador for baseball in, in America, in Italy. Uh, you're just a, a smart, good soul and a phenomenal baseball player, maybe the best I've ever seen here in New York. So thank you so much for hopping on today, and uh, enjoy uh, your, your, your soccer right. life, your baseball life, all of it, and uh, please keep coming back. It's great to catch up with you, Mike Piazza. Thank you. Thank you. All right. God bless, man. You too. There he is, the great Mike Piazza. What an impressive guy, huh? Jeez. Smart guy. Run for office. He really should run for office. I was at that game, the game five in 2000. Oh, you were there? I was there too. I was in right field. And when he hit the ball, all the sections stood up. Oh, we thought he hit a home run. thought it was like because Bernie Williams was going back a little bit. And I I remember muttering it right before. To who I was with, I said, if this goes out, he can run for mayor. I said true. it. I like true. If that bill goes out. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was but. still fun. That was fun. And uh, Piazza's great. Thank you, Mike. We'll take a short break. Don't forget, bonus hour again today. We got a very impressive guest coming up in the 10 o'clock hour, too. He is the 76th president of the New York Young Republicans Club. My friend Gavin Wax will join us next hour. Friends in the morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC.
Howard Jones at 1007 here on your Friday morning. This is uh, the last day of the week, the last bonus hour you'll get. My friend Brian Kilmeade will be back on Monday. Brian's great, so I enjoyed uh, spending an extra hour with you guys all week. I hope you guys enjoyed it, too. You also got the extra hour of Curtis Sliwa. And we had some fun, but uh, this is Brian's show, so and Brian's great. So he'll be back on Monday, but um, we got one more great hour to go. We've had a phenomenal show already today, starting at uh, 6.45 this morning with Wall Street columnist Steve Cohen, who worked many years for the former governor and the former attorney general, Andrew Cuomo. Curtis Sliwa was here, Judge Andrew Napolitano, Bruce Blakeman, Nassau County executive, who's telling these trans people, no more. Boys are not going to play with girls. I mean, it's so obvious, so common sense, so distorted that any person would defend this. But it took Bruce Blakeman to, like, sign an executive order to stop it. I told Bruce, my daughter played tennis. Somebody walks on the court with a wig and a set of balls, I'm going to punch his father right across the face. (laughs) Joe Tacopino was here. He was great. And moments ago, Hall of Fame great New York Met Mike Piazza. Mike was, how great was Mike, Louie? Wasn't he terrific? I mean, honestly. Really good. You could see catchers are smart people. Yes. Too. That's the thing. So They're the leaders, was, really. Yes. I mean, Johnny Bench, all those great red teams, it was Bench. The, well, Yogi Berra was, uh, he was funny, and I don't know how smart Yogi was. No, he was smart. He was smart. No, he was he smart. Was handled yeah. five no, pitchers yeah. like that, a whole pitching staff. Caught and then, and then Fisk, what the Red Sox was like yeah. that, Pudge Rodriguez. That's why it's crazy to be a good hitter as a catcher. Campanella. Gary Carter was Gary like that. Gary Carter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Posada. Come on. Now, Georgie was nice. See, that's the one example I disagree with. Because mm-hmm. Jeter really was the man on that team. Right. But he, he was the leader. Yeah. He was the He was the smart For guy. Sure. Yeah. That was the one, and Posada was a great player. Don't get me wrong, great. But these other guys, they were like they were the yeah. like the Mets. Yeah, they had Strawberry, they had Gooden, mm. they had Keith, yeah. Keith yeah. the young Kevin Mitchell. But it was Carter. Yeah, you're right. Who kind of held it all together? He, Even Boston, Fred Lynn, Kalia Strzemski, but right. they had Fisk, you know, and Veritek, right. and, and the Reds, the Rose, Morgan, Grippy. Yeah. Uh, Foster, right? Perez, no, no, they had a Concepcion, but it was really Johnny Bench, but it was Bench. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, pride. My (laughs) next guy, these Phillies. (laughs) The Phillies had uh, Bob Boone for a long time, long time. Well, what what catcher did you mention in the Phillies zone? Who was the guy? The 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 building fell on the guy. I think his name was Bo Diaz or something on the Phillies. Uh, Something happened to him. I don't know. No, uh, uh, Lieber Lieberthal was the guy. I remember Mike Lieberthal. Yeah, from the early two thousand. He was fine. The guy. uh, What's his face from the Cardinals too? St. Louis. Oh, he was a great player. Oh, the the, the three brothers. Yeah, Yeah, Molina. 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 See, when I was a kid, they had a guy named Daryl Porter. Daryl Porter. Right. He was on the Rangers too. And the Brewers, I think. Okay. But he was great for the Cardinals. They had another great catcher, St. Louis, when I was growing up. And now I can't remember his name. It's a terrible job out oh, of me. Oh, uh, the, well, they had, they had McCarver. Yeah. Well, they had McCarver right, much did. earlier. McCarver caught Steve Carlton. Right. And Bob Gibson. And Bob Gibson. Yeah. Yeah. And told the great Bob Gibson The Phillies debatably have the best catcher today in the, in the game. Who's that? Real Muto. Real, J- J- yeah, Real Muto's good. The guy that um, also had uh, was a catcher on great teams was the only guy I know to get a briss at the age of 40. And that was former Dodger catcher Steve Yeager. 
He married a Jewish chick. He got a bris at the age of 40. Now, you have to remember, catchers today wear this guard around their neck because Jaeger was the first catcher to get bat splinters in his neck. In his Adam's apple. Yes. And I said to Jaeger, we did the show once live from the Pomona racetrack in in L.A., me and uh, Kaplan, and Jaeger was there. And I said, uh, well, what was more painful, be honest, getting those bat splinters in your neck or the doctor cutting the top of your penis off? He's like, Sid, the brisk was the worst thing ever. Yeah. The worst. Well, I would imagine they put you under for it when you're 40 years old. (laughs) I don't think they did. They gave him a little bit of wine with a killer. That was it. No, come on. You got to be kidding me. I swear to God, man. What? That's a bad Saturday night. (laughs) Wow. Hey, talking about Saturday nights, one of the best Saturday nights I've had in a long time. Dates back a couple of months ago to Cipriani's. And um, I I got a message from the great attorney, Tom Kniff, who represents Daniel Penny. And he said, Sid, are you going to Cipriani's Saturday? I go, why would I go to Cipriani's Saturday? I don't go to the city on the weekends. He goes, yeah, but Trump is coming. I go, Trump is coming. I'm coming. I go, who do I have to call? He said, Gavin Wax. And I didn't know Gavin. I said, who's that? And he said, he's the president of the New York Young Republicans Club. So I reached out to Gavin Wax, and he was a mensch. Could not have been nicer. And not only did he invite me and Danielle to come that night, but I sat right behind him and Trump and ended up having a good time with Trump. As soon as Gavin went up to the stage to make his speech, President Trump called me over to sit in Gavin's chair so he can talk to me. I'll never forget that. And uh, by the way, he's a great speaker, great Gavin, and he wrote a great book, and he's doing some real good things, but he's pissed off about a certain politician, if you will, that we've been talking about a lot the last three days, including with Bruce Blakeman earlier today. So here he is, the 76th president of the New York Young Republicans Club, my friend Gavin Wax. Gavin, good morning, buddy. How are you? Good morning, Sid. Thank you for that lovely introduction. It's great to be back on the show. Uh, it's great to have you back. And uh, you really went to your speech that night. I think you, you and Gates tied up for a second right behind the president. You were that good. Uh, and that was such a great night. So I want to ask you one more thing. There were rumors, you know, because Trump, I'm going to go see him in two weeks down in Mar-a-Lago. He really believes he can win New York, okay? And there were rumors not that long ago that he had talked to you about doing some big rally in the Bronx. Is that was that a rumor? Is it true? Is it a possibility? What's the deal with that? Well, I don't want to speak for the president or, uh, you know, go too far out there. But I could certainly say that, uh, you know, there's a lot of love uh, for the city and state from President Trump. Uh, and he would love to see things turn around in this city and state. It needs to turn around. And uh, if that involves campaigning where no Republicans have campaigned in a very, very long time, I think President Trump is the type of visionary who's going to get that done, who's going to be able to execute it. Uh, and listen, I think, you know, there's a groundswell of support across the five boroughs from areas that Republicans traditionally do not win. And I think the only Republican who can get them out and voting for him uh, is President Trump. He's the only one that can really motivate uh, these forgotten voters, whether it's in the South Bronx, whether it's in parts of Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, you name it. And uh, I think that's the type of coalition building, party building uh, that the GOP in this state really needs to look to. I had heard a couple of months ago. And, of course, it's uh, almost unrealistic to think a president, a Republican president, could even compete in New York, let alone win. But I had heard a couple of months ago that the leave was down to single digits. Correct. That is correct. Yes, yeah, Siena polling, you know, they're not exactly a right-wing 
pollster doesn't really, you know, do well uh, with polling Republicans in general. I mean, they're showing him, I think, last, you know, just just above uh, 10. I think it was 11 or 12. We've seen some polls, depending on how many candidates are in the race with him in the single digits. So, you know, this is an expensive media market, but this is certainly an area that's trending to the right. We've seen some of the biggest trends uh, to the Republican Party in places like New York and working class Hispanic communities, working class uh, black, Asian, white communities across the city. So it's a different type of Republican Party, and it's really getting its legs here in uh, here in the five boroughs. And listen, President Trump, he's originally from Queens. He knows this city. He knows the vibe. He knows, uh, you know, the politics of the city and state. And he understands that. Uh, the movement that he's leading. In many ways, it's a New York movement. I said that in the speech at Cipriani. I think he appreciated it. And, uh, you know, there's some trend lines here in the state that we could take advantage of. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that Lee Zeldin got in the mid to upper uh, 40s. People forget that. That was a close nail biter of a race for New York standards. And uh, we can build on that. We can certainly get some statewide wins, but we need a winning mentality. And I think the problem is we have a lot of losing mentality. And uh, that's the kind of mentality that's going to destroy the party and destroy any gains that we can make. I agree. Um, I'm down on the party, uh, not because of people like you. You're, you're, you're one of the great guys. In fact, why aren't you at CPAC right now? <laughs> uh, we have a big delegation down there. We got 50 free tickets. I'm not a big fan of D.C. I'm not a big fan of the swamp. I was just there uh, two weeks ago, and now I'm uh, – my time not having to travel to D.C., but it looked like a good time. looked like there were some good speakers, and, uh, you know, I'm wishing all my friends down there all the best and uh, all the parties and all the speeches. It looks like it's going to be a uh, big day on Saturday with the big man himself speaking. Yeah, you got a uh, you got uh, Trump, and then right after him, you've got uh, my friend Carrie Lake out there in uh, in Arizona. She'll be speaking, and then Lou Dobbs. You got a pretty good threesome. Uh, so, yeah. Gavin, I want to get to this uh, race out on Long Island. I've had everybody on this week. I had Kara Kashanova on herself on Tuesday. I've had uh, Peter King talk about it. Bruce Blakeman talk about it. Johnny Tobacco texts me all the time, uh, and I know the convention did not go well for Kashanova or Eisen. Yesterday, in fact, Sapricone gave them a Mike Tyson, Michael Spinks beating. He beat the hell out of him. And something tells me, Gavin Wax, you're not happy about that because you're not a very big Sapricone fan, are you? Well, listen, I'll say this. This convention is not reflective of the state party uh, constituents as a whole, uh, the Republican voters, people like you and I or the Joe Schmo on the street. This is a small, closed-off insiders of insider meeting. You're talking about 100 or so you know, dinosaurs meeting in a room up in Binghamton. I think this was actually one of the worst-attended New York State Republican conventions of all time. I mean, the party goes back to the 1800s. So take that. Uh, what you take from that, what you will. Uh, but, you know, winning a small group of insiders who already knew who they were voting for going into it, this is not uh, a thing to be proud of. This is not something to brag about. This just shows that there's a massive disconnect between party leadership and party voters and who they choose as their candidates. And honestly, I think they're making a huge, big, fat mistake. I don't know if they're masochists. I don't know if they just want to lose. I don't know if they're just grossly incompetent. Maybe it's all of the above, but this guy... Sapricone, Sapricone, whatever his name is, uh, you're talking about a guy, he's a six-figure Democrat donor, given over you know, close to $100,000 to the Nassau Democrat Party, he's given $40,000 to Tom Swazi, believe it or not, Cuomo, uh, the architect of bail reform, Todd Kaminsky, and of course, it has recently been revealed he also was a donor uh, to Letitia James's campaign in 2022 after she began investigating President Trump, and while she was campaigning 
to get Trump, to throw Trump in jail, seize his assets, bankrupt him. This is who our official nominated and endorsed GOP senatorial candidate was donating to, Letitia James. So this is a guy that really has no place in the Republican Party. He has no place on our ballot, certainly not our ballot or the conservative ballot. But it just goes to show that we're being run by people that don't want to win, that want to nominate uh, never Trump losers, who want to nominate people that want to send U.S. troops to Ukraine, who wants to take away our guns, who are donating to Democrats. I mean, this guy sounds like a Democrat. And at the end of the day, if we want to win, we cannot nominate another mod at the state level. And let's not forget, he tried to run in New York 3, and they picked Mozzie over him. And she just lost by, what, 9, 10 points? Yeah. So if we're looking at this, he was the runner-up to Mozzie, and we just had a disaster of a race out there. And I know you've had some guests on who've tried to spin it. But let's just face the facts. I mean, we're never going to get better as a party unless we face some of these serious facts. And that was a disaster. We're going to have another disaster uh, in New York State because of this new nomination. Well, you talk about guests who try to spin it, Gavin. And you're right. And look, I'm friendly with these guys. I'm very, very, very friendly, to be completely honest, with Peter King. And uh, I love him, actually. But he's been described as a rhino on this show. He is one of those guys that is uh, all about Ukraine. You know me, Gavin. I I wanted to stop this Ukraine nonsense a year and a half ago. It's nonsense. Give the money to America. Fix the damn border. You have a couple of dollars left. Give it to Israel. Enough with Ukraine. It's it's ridiculous. You can't trust Zelensky. You can't. Swazi ran. Swazi ran to the right. I know. Mazi on these issues. How do how do you get how do you have a institutional Democrat? like Tom Swazi, run to your right on immigration, run to your right on all these key issues. Meanwhile, she was spending airtime. She was giving out statements. She was giving out pressers attacking Trump, saying he's not above the law, all yeah. this nonsense. Yeah. Meanwhile, there are polls that came out that show President Trump was outrunning her in that district. And that's why she performed so poorly, even in traditional Republican well, areas. Well, it, it, it also didn't help that she was still a registered Democrat. So, look, I, right. Right, I, mean, I, I knew she was going to lose, Gab. I, I said it to yeah, the day did, before. I did. did. Yeah, so it, it wasn't good. So, And now, Sapricone, Sapricone, uh, all these things you're talking about. I've met the guy. He's been on the show. was nice. But I'm sorry. There is no way in a million years to follow up what Gavin Wax is saying. I could never, ever, ever endorse anybody who's given money to Letitia James. I mean, Amen. I mean, forget about Cuomo. The rest of these people, fine. You hate them. You have your reasons. I, and they're all fine. I can live with that. But Letitia James trying to take down our guy, this racist, repulsive, corrupt attorney general. I don't even want to look at that guy in the face anymore. Then he has the chutzpah to go on stage and talk about, you know, Letitia James at his acceptance speech. I mean, it's really just complete disconnect, really spitting in the faces of the voters. And, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that the party should be doing in terms of vetting. They talked about vetting. You know, they talked, you know, till their faces were read about George Santos. And then at the end of the day, it's like, all right, fine. You want to, you want to kvetch about George Santos? Well, let's now start doing some vetting here. And none of them knew this stuff, apparently, until it was exposed on uh, Twitter and elsewhere. And now it's becoming a big, fat, laughing joke. And we need a strong top-of-the-ticket candidate. I mean, look, Joe Pinion gave Chuck Schumer a run for his money. He had no support. He had no money. You know, he was running kind of on his own. And he got in the 40s against one of the most established Democrats in the country. I mean, this is a seat that we, on a bad day, should be getting in the mid to upper 40s on, especially against someone as weak as Gillibrand. And what I think is going to be a very good year for Republicans 
across the country based on the polling. And that's going to be beneficial all the way down ballot, every race, state assembly, state senate, you know, the dog catcher, you name it, whatever it may be. We need a strong top of ticket candidate who's going to be supportive of Trump, supportive of his message going into November. Otherwise, we're going to have a complete disconnect. We're spitting in the faces of the grassroots, and they're just going to stay home. And that's what they did during the Mozzie race. They stayed home. Yep. Democrats turned out, and we got yeah. our faces, uh, you know, we had egg all over our faces. Uh, true. So, you know, the Nassau County guys all love Cairo. Now, I've met Cairo a couple of times. Very nice. Uh, you know, from what I know of him personally, seems like a decent guy. But, 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 you know, this is serious business, okay? So George Santos got through. That egg is on Cairo's face. Then they they put Mozzie out there. And that wasn't a very good candidate. We all know that. It's not Monday morning quarterback. We knew it before. And she got killed. There's more egg on the right. base. Now you got a guy in Sapricone who's out there giving money to people like Letitia James. So the question becomes, does the Republican Party, Gavin, in your circle spend their days and nights talking about Joe Cairo? Listen, I respect uh, Joe Cairo. He's built a machine out there. We need to build machines. But the machine is useless. If we're going to nominate these crap candidates who lose congressional seats that we should be winning or at least making them close and lose statewide races. So you can have a machine. You can have the patronage. You can have everyone with the jobs and you can fill up uh, your rallies with them. But if you're not converting that to real conservative wins, if you're not converting that to real Republican wins, what's the point? Then it just seems like a giant joke. But but, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, because, again, this is your business and I kind of touch on everything. I've got a Nassau County executive, Blakeman Republican. I got a Sapa, who's, who's fantastic, by the way, and what he's doing on the trans issue, which right, is on the vaccine. Right, and, he's and, been ahead of every major issue. Honestly, he should be a statewide candidate. I agree. I agree. I, I told him today to run for president at some point when Trump yeah. decides to hang it up. Uh, and you got Romaine and Suffolk County, but Nassau County, you got the Esposito. They've done very well with Republicans, no? They've done well, but you also have to remember that Long Island is an area that has been traditionally Republican. It went blue for a little bit, and now the Dems have gone off a cliff. Now it's realigning. Now it's trending to the right, large part due to Trump, large part due to Zeldin. Things have moved right. And you have these districts out there that are actually quite Republican, especially at the congressional level, at least for now with the maps. And you got Republicans in these seats that vote kind of like just complete middle-of-the-road rhinos, rhino and moderates. Meanwhile, you got Democrats who are in swing seats. They vote like hardline Dems. That's why we keep losing because their side votes with the party. They vote 100 percent for the left wing agenda. And then we got people on our side that get very wishy washy. They're too scared. They're scared of their own shadow. They're scared of Trump, believe it or not. This is what's ridiculous. You talk to a lot of these guys and they do politics for a living. They do this their whole lives. They've been in this business, if you want to call it that, for decades. And they look at the polls. They see how high Trump up is in the polls. He never polled this good before, certainly not in New York, certainly not nationally. And they're trying to run, run away from President Trump as fast as they can. I mean, this is pathetic. This just shows that they don't even have a finger on the pulse of the country, of the city, of the state. I mean, things are shifting. People love President Trump. You should be running on his agenda. It's a winning agenda. It's a positive agenda rather than trying to run away from him and embrace, you know, Lakeisha James, embrace Democrats. I mean, it's crazy that the Nassau guys would even back Saprakone considering the donations that he made. Uh, to all of their opponents, you know, Todd Kaminsky, uh, you know, Swazi. I mean, this should just be disqualifying on its face. But yep. instead of punishing him for these donations, they're elevating him on a pedestal, and we're becoming a laughingstock as a result. I agree with you. So on the way out, uh, again, this is – now you know why he's the president, folks. <laughs> he is smart guy. My friend Gavin Wax, 76th president of the uh, New York Young Republicans Club. 
uh, writes books, makes great speeches, does a terrific job. So how do we fix it? I mean, I know this is kind of your job in that party, but you can't fix the whole party, obviously. So how do we fix it moving forward? Listen, it's a Byzantine system. I mean, you know, you got these rules for county committee, district leaders. I mean, it's all very Byzantine. It's all designed to create a separation between the voter and the party bosses. And look, I have no problem with party bosses if they're doing the right thing, if they're winning, and if they're in line with party. But if they're just there to line their pockets, if they're just there to grift, to push jobs to their consultants, and they're just there to lose and have a losing mentality, then, you know, they got to be replaced like anyone else. You fire a CEO and they lose. I mean, we've lost, what is it, the last two special elections? There was an assembly race in Queens we lost. We should have won that. Yep. The Mozzie race on Long Island, we should have won that. I mean, they didn't even open a Queens office, believe it or not. I mean, Vicky Palladino, who you had on your show, who I love, and the club is uh, proud to call her a member, and we've supported her since her Senate race. You know, she ran up the numbers out there. I mean, she turned what was once a purple district into a red bastion of Vicky Palladino kingdom, if you will, or queendom. And she's winning by 20 double-digit points. She's super popular, and she is an unabashed, conservative, populist, Republican. She does not hold back punches. You know, she's hated by many people on the city council, these radical lefties, and she's rewarded by the voters. So if you want to win in Queens, if you want to win even in Nassau, you should be running Vicky Palladino's. You should be running people in that style of politics. And instead, they're running these milquetoast candidates who can't speak, who don't know what they're saying, who are running from the issues. And the party thinks that this is a winning strategy. And the fact of the matter is, we have not won a statewide race in, what, two decades? Yes. And a lot of times, yep. these consultants, they haven't had a winning track record mm. at the state level since Pataki was in office. I mean, this is, this is, this is unheard of, but we got to back uh, these primary challenges now to uh, Sapricone. We're going to get them on the ballot. And look, let's have a good, honest race where the primary voters can decide. And when you have primaries... Typically, those candidates do better in the general. There's yep. more, more voter contact. They're out on the streets. So, listen, I, I have a lot of faith in Josh Eisen. I have a lot of faith in Kara Castronova. We got good, two good candidates. Let's see them on the ballot and let the voters decide. So, in the final 60 seconds, Gav, uh, let's say Sapricone, Sapricone wins. Now, that's a good thing. That's a good thing because he's a, I guess, he's a quote-unquote Republican. So, we win, but but we know the truth, which is he may be a Republican, but Based on the last election, I think Swazi is more of a Republican. <laughs> this guy's giving money to Letitia James. So is it fair to say that a Republican would win and Gavin Wax would still be upset? Listen, if he if he pulls up uh, some kind of miracle of miracle races and wins this, I mean, I don't see how he's going to do it. I mean, his website wasn't even updated as of five days ago. It was still his <laughs> losing Long Island campaign website before he updated it. I mean, I don't think this guy knows what he's doing, and I'm not seeing any confidence. Listen, I have no problem with, you know, more, you know, more center of the road candidates if they're competent. You know, you got people like Mike Lawler up in the Hudson Valley. He's a very competent guy. He runs a competent operation. Do we agree on everything? No, but he's also mimicking his own district. He's in a more purple district. He's going to vote more purple. But for this race, we need to get the base out. We need to rally the troops. I don't see him doing that. If he wins, God bless him. I'd be his, I'd be at his, all his rallies and all his uh, right. you know, inaugural dinners, I doubt he'll let me in, but I'll be there supporting <laughs> him nonetheless. Right. Uh, but listen, we got to get these Republicans over the finish line. We need to have a primary. We need to make it healthy. And look, I give Sapricone credit. 
at least he's a registered Republican, which is the bare minimum. I know Mazi, even though she was elected office, never bothered to fill out that paperwork. It is what it is. But I guess we're making progress here, Sid. You know, we moved from registered Dem uh, to registered Republican who donates to Dem. I mean, the standards are really through the roof here. Oh, my God. It's uh, If it wasn't uh, Jew, it would be funny. Hey, you got the... <laughs> That's a heck of an appearance, my friend, Gavin Wax. Really, that was my phone is blowing up. People love you. Thank you so much. Great job. Thank you for having me. Have a great week. You too. That's Gavin Wax. He is good, man. He's smart, funny, very impressive guy. The president, of course, of the Young Republicans Club here in New York, the 76th president. The guy gives great speeches, writes great books. He's just really smart. Great job, Gavin. We'll take a short break. More of Sid and Friends in the morning this Friday bonus hour. Don't worry, folks. Kilmeade, he's back on Monday. Song. This is the type of song comes on, and I could leave Alec for dead, but no problem. I love him like my own son, but this song comes on, I get nuts. Oh, he was on fire. Oh, wow. Really? Wow. Didn't they use this song in past times at Richmond High? Certainly did. It was during the part. Let me think about this. Oh my God, come on. Was it when uh, Damone banged Jennifer Jason Lee in the Wrong. bungalow by the pool? No. No, Wrong. no, no. Nope. Wrong. Oh, gee. Uh, give me a hint, but don't I give mean, it away. Come on. I, you, you're kidding me, right? You're, you're kidding. Hold on a second. It's going to bother me. I mean, Justin knows this. He has no idea. He, he does, doesn't even he... know that Jennifer Jason Lee was like, was married to Kevin Klein. He knows the movie. I didn't even mean it. To no, she wasn't. Movie. Phoebe Cates was. Um, oh, now nah. you're getting close. There you go. It was when Phoebe Cates was on the diving board, took off her bathing suit top, and Judge Reinhold masturbated in the bathroom. Uh, yes, with the uh, candlestick. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. Oh, I was working yeah, at Long John Silver's. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Watch that scene over and over. And she over was again. cute. Who was, the, who was the woman in the car next to him when he gave out a Long John Silver? This is and he gave one. her the finger or That's something, a good right? Trivia. No. No, he didn't give her the finger. They were flirting with each other at yeah, the flirting. light. 
What you put your phone down too? That's the, number one. I'm not one. cheating. Number one. As soon as I ask you, you pick your well, phone. Well, I got up. a text from somebody very famous. Uh, okay, this is more important. <laughs> Let me think about this. I, I, <laughs> he you comes, have to give me a hint. He still has the garb on, right? Right. He has the hat on. He feels like an idiot. Yes. Yeah. Smiling at him. He doesn't want to wear it, and the owner. Right. Says, Come on. Right. You represent uh, the. Who fish. was the girl? The woman in the car. Remember the car? Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It she's, wasn't Christy Brinkley. She was in vacation. No, she's a musician. She plays guitar. Bless you, Justin. She. The band just played too at something outside one of the hockey games. I think earlier in January. I think. Yeah, because they were outside. Susanna Huff? No. It's a sister band. Sister like black? No. Oh. <laughs> like they were... <laughs> no, they're sisters. Not sister. They're sisters. The band's from the 70s, actually. And a they're... bunch of, like the Andrews sisters? No, I said the 70s, oh. not the Andrews sisters. Uh, you're so, you're <laughs> not like so Glenn, uh, yeah. Glenn um, Show off the beaten path here. Uh, the sisters. One of hot... the, yes, one of, one is not... Sorry to say it, not considered hot anymore if she was... Doesn't sound like you're getting any closer. You're not... From the 70s, two sisters, they're in a rock band. One name. I just don't know it. This organ is in the middle of your chest. It keeps you alive. Heart! Very good. Oh, Nancy Wilson. Right. Am I doing good? Uh, yeah, we didn't. I don't know how I'd grade that quiz. Twenty five thousand. Didn't even get through the hundred dollar question. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I've given you that one five times before too. Five I times. think. I love to do stuff like that. It's my favorite part of the show. All right, we're gonna have a little quiz segment every day. I we'll love it. Okay. Yeah, sure. Right. Like I want to well, congratulate. <laughs> I love it. I don't and the game close. comes back. I don't come close, but I love it. I want to congratulate my uh, my good buddy Bobby Hartman. Who listens to this show every day. You guys remember, I lost my voice. It was terrible. But I still gave it a college try, and I still spoke at that uh, sober house all the way out there in, like, Riverhead, Long Island. Remember that, Justin? For Bobby Hartman? Yes, yes. I forgot the name of the place. It wasn't Sunrise House. No, it was, like, Winter House or something. Not Winter House. Not Sunrise. Not Summer House. uh, No. Doesn't matter. Anyway, Bobby Hartman today, he's a good guy is celebrating his 22 years of being clean. So, mm. happy sober day to uh, a great fan of Sid and Friend in the Morning and a friend of mine now, Bobby Hartman. Congratulations. There you go. And uh, I look forward to the day, Justin, when I can celebrate your sobriety. Because uh. uh, it's Friday, and only God knows what the hell you're going to do this weekend. It doesn't matter what I'm going to do. What do you mean it doesn't matter? Uh, I don't know. i got a date tomorrow. It's not a big deal. It's called mainstream. Uh, <laughs> you have a date I didn't hear that. Oh, I did. Okay. Wait, wait, hold on a second. <laughs> Sorry, you got distracted for a second. I did because it's, <laughs> it's called mainstream house. So, yeah. as far as I know, mm. the last serious girlfriend you had was the Russian Shiksa. Mm. But today, Joe Biden put 500 sanctions on the Russians, including your Russian girlfriend. She's going home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then you had the fat little Jewish girl that didn't last very fat long. Little, who is that? Was not fat at all. She was fat. God. Yeah, very fat. And then, uh, so who's this now? Who's this? Uh, <laughs> who's this harlot? Uh, I don't know. I've never met her before. Where'd you meet her? Yeah, good question. Uh, she is, she's Israeli, actually. Really? Isn't that interesting? Really? Her name is Tal. I'll be, uh. His belly uh, girls are smoking hot, bro. I know. No, she was cute. I saw, I saw a picture, but I'm meeting her for the first time tomorrow. It's a work connection between oh, so, parents so and Oh, so let, let me get this straight. Yeah. 
So you, you met her online? I did not meet her online. No, no. My dad works with uh, works with somebody who knows her mom. I think oh, that's good. a connection or something okay, like good. that. So because you meet these uh, cute Israeli girls online, they show up. And their name uh, is Mark. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> that's going to be terrible. No, this is a real person. Yeah, real but, person. As far as I know. As far as I know. <laughs> But when your parents do it, it's always bad. I know. It's going to be bad. I'm not. I, listen, I'm <laughs> yeah. not. I'm totally taking it Will you take surface her? level. You know? Will you right. take her? It's, it's a casual. We're going Where are you going to take her? I, why do I have to tell you where I'm going tomorrow? I would take her to that. Um... <laughs> and why do I have to say it on the air? I'm not saying anything. No, I, I would take her to the. Um... <laughs> What is the motel where you can play Tarzan and Jane and Queens? Queens <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, that's not where I'm taking her. That's anybody's apartment, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> no, it's, it's a Q Motor Inn. You can do all these uh, wild. Tarzan. Um, she'd love it. It'll be fun. Yeah. You know, dressed up like Purim. I'm sure she'd love it. <laughs> 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 Friends in the morning.
folks. Just about over now. <laughs> yeah. About four more minutes of sitting friends in the morning. Then you do get the extra hour of Curtis Sleewa. He's done very well this week. Well, of course he has. He's great. And then uh, you get Brian Kilmeade back on Monday. Some lady sent me a direct message Instagram. Yes, I don't know her. And she's like, my God, all five hours are great. Like, you're great. But how do you still have a voice? And I go through periods, and every radio talk show host goes through these. In fact, I was, um, you know, it's been a while, thank God. Let me knock on wood before I lose it. But yeah. you remember. Next was, week comes in and right, don't. Right, Because <laughs> last year, it was like a two-week period. I just couldn't. You were sick. I was sick. And, and Lou, I couldn't talk. Yeah. And it's really frustrating. And I would come into the studio a hundred times. How do I sound? You sound fine. You sound fine. Then I listened back to the. Interviews and I sounded terrible, but but at least you have the show. You got the guests. You got you guys. So even if I'm not at a hundred percent, the show is still going to be good because I'm surrounded by great talent. All you guys. But um, thank God I I feel great. You know, twenty five hours of radio is a lot. That's a lot. I know Curtis does a thousand hours, and God bless him, he's great at what he does. But you know, you're not going to compare. 3 o'clock in the morning on Sunday to 8 o'clock a.m. on a drive time in New York City. It's not the same. No, different times. Different times. Very well done, Lou. I figured that out. I didn't even pick up my phone. Different times, different pressures, different everything. And Curtis has done mornings before, him and Kubi, and they did a good job. Then he was unceremoniously kicked out by Imus, and uh, he'd love to get my job, but as long as I'm alive, he's not going to get it. Because he's number two. That's it. I'm sorry. What do you want me to tell you? You don't have to apologize to me. No matter how many guys on Instagram or Twitter are, Curtis, he's number two. But let me say, number two is not bad, I got to tell you. You think about, you know, Scottie Pippen was number two. He's a Hall of Famer. Right. Right. And he sat himself out that one year that Jordan wasn't there. That's true. And he he holds no grudges whatsoever. Right. Tony Kukoc became one. Right. And um, Kevin McHale, number two, Hall of Famer. Great player. And on those Laker teams, Kareem and Worthy make your choice behind Magic. They were number two Hall of Famers. So you could still be great, and Curtis is still great. But if he was the best at this station, he'd be doing this, and he's not doing it. Not not anytime soon. No. (laughs) No, no. Trust me. Well, at least you're smoothing things out for the weekend. It's going to make it easy the rest of the morning. It's going to be great. No comment. He's going to go down to the ferry, and we're going to be here. That's great. Sid leaves. (laughs) Oh, so Sid still won. Oh, great. Let me tell you something, okay, wise ass. <laughs> I went to leave. Lee Davis once at the fan, and I said, I can't stay here anymore. I know where to go. And he said, why is that, Sid? Now what? I said, because at best, I'll only be number four. At best. And at that point, I had to be better than Beningo, McDonald, Summers, because there was I Miss Mike and Chris. And they were great and legendary and huge. And he said, Sid, first of all, that's not true. But let's say it is true. Being number four at the fan ain't all that bad. So, Curtis, take a listen. Being number two at ABC isn't all that bad. That's huge because he's great. And I, I will say this because I'm you know, kind of kidding around, but I think the one-two punch of Sliwa and Rosenberg, and I purposely put his name first so he'll shut up, uh, I think the one-two punch of Curtis and Sid <laughs> It's the best in radio. Yeah, that'll do it. 
every every yeah. Batman needs Robin. I don't care about uh, order. Believe me, when I, when I first came here, <laughs> right. there was like no, no. I swear <laughs> to God, you know, we, we had meetings on whether it should be Bernie and Sid or Sid and Bernie. Right. Swear to God, it's Chad. If he's going to be honest, and I'm like, listen, give it a. He's been here. I'm coming up from Florida. I'm the renegade. I'm the rebel. No one really knows who I am. I've been gone for 15 years. Bernie's here. Everybody loves Bernie. Leave it that way. Plus, you're Jewish. Put him second. Right. Well, back then, did they hate Jews <laughs> as much as we do now? No. Well, no. they did. It was, they, yeah. they did. It was just... You just uh, didn't they, know about right, it. Right. They hit it a little better. Yeah. The whole order thing doesn't even matter. <laughs> Nonsense. No, it doesn't. Most no. of the time, the second name is the bigger name anyway. Is that not true? I mean, look at Len and Michael. Well, maybe not them. No. <laughs> Mike and Chris? Uh, not really. Opie and Anthony. Anthony was a talent. Okay, so there's Number two. One. Okay, you there you one. go. There you go. There's lessons to be learned, ladies and gentlemen. I have no idea what they are, but no. I've spent the last four minutes trying to explain yeah, them. You have no idea. <laughs> it's a justification. I have no idea what you're saying. No idea. Nobody it's a, does. It's a great segment for the end of the week, though, how to spread love among your colleagues and other radio Well, what people. I'm trying to do is explain to Curtis how great he is. Well, you, you've done a half-assed job of doing what? it. Why do you say I that? I don't, because he, he's one, he's two, he's, he's one. He's not one. No, I never said one. he was one. I know, but right. you're, you're <laughs> yeah. trying to make him sound like he's one by still putting you at one. So it's it's like a calculus class that makes no sense at all. But if it makes sense to you, fine. Well, did it make sense to you, Noam? It did. I, I'm just curious <laughs> who's like three, four, and five. That's hard to say. Oh, that, yeah. That's hard to we'll say. We'll work on that over the weekend yeah. your assignment. <laughs> See, I, really I, I, keep, I keep John out of the um, uh, discussion because he's the smartest guy in the building. He owns a station. He's great, but it shows one hour. So I keep him out of the discussion for long-form radio. I mean, John is right there with me and Curtis. If you look at the ratings, Sid, John, and Curtis get the best ratings. Cats Matisse. But um, his show is one hour. So long-form radio, who's number three? Hard to say. Hard to say. Because hmm. you got guys who do syndicated radio like Levin and O'Reilly. Yeah. They're both great. Uh, then you got, um, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, he's got two names. He's black. I like him. He's good. That guy's yeah. good. Oh, and on that note, his name's not like shit. But how come he has name. two names? He's got another name, James something. Or... James Golden is his real name. Post hardly oh. is what they called him when he was the uh, the uh, producer for oh, okay. Rush, I don't Rush know. Limbaugh. Yeah, what do I know? I don't know anything. I don't know. We'll have the answer for you on Monday. Now, <laughs> I thought most of us had two names anyway. I don't know. <laughs> Again, I'm so confused. Why the we hope you enjoyed <laughs> this week of sitting friends in the morning. On a serious note, you're very lucky to have all of us here. It's a great station. And, and the last book in January, the whole station did great, everybody. So congratulations. Curtis is coming up next. For my whole crew, Lou Rufino, Justin Ellick, Noam Layden, Curtis Sliwa, and Joe Nolan. God willing, as Gene would say, we'll all be back for a 6 a.m. Monday show. Until then, folks, be careful. Have a good weekend. Peace!
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.